Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Three two pitches, first time up against Jay Happ, and now launches one to center field and deep, and Soot Soot Sugio hits another home run. That is hammered. Deep left. Goodbye. Into Big Mac land. Number 19 for Paul Goldschmidt. Gift on the right side and a high fly ball out to right. Newt Bar back. Lars Newbar saved the day, but he wasn't able to save the series as the Cardinals lose two out of three against Pittsburgh in St. Louis over the weekend, a team that you were supposed to be able to take advantage of. It was the opposite. The Pirates took advantage of the Cardinals over the weekend. And with Mark Saxon, who's filling in today for Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. That's Tanner Hendrickson. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest and AT&T Sportsnet up in Pittsburgh. Saxy, how you doing today, I'm man? I'm doing well. Happy Monday to you, BK. Happy Monday to you as well. So the Cardinals were supposed to take advantage of this portion of their schedule. Indeed. Didn't exactly go that way for them. They're 10-5, and five, which isn't bad, but not quite what we were hoping for. And this stretch against bad baseball teams, it continues this week with Detroit and Pittsburgh What would you think of the Cardinals losing two out of three over the weekend to the lowly Pirates, though? I mean, I think it was an opportunity missed. I I really am not at the point where I feel like this team is kind of like, you know, just not getting it done, though. I I know you want to you got to take advantage of these these teams. And, you know, before before this, they had the the Brewers in town. That's going to be a tough series. You know that. So losing two out of three, you know, they fought hard. Really, what I see happening, though, is you are seeing signs here and there of Arnaldo Goldschmidt and Tyler O'Neill at times all hitting at the same time, which we hadn't seen all year. I think those are the drivers in the lineup. And then you are getting a healthier pitching staff. So I think there's the potential still for this team to really have some traction finally and do something. But you're right. It's all at this point. Nothing matters but the results. Yeah. So if that this this traction doesn't get going really soon and, and pretty, you know, pretty stridently like moving forward, it is going to be at the point where it's teetering because, as you know, I'm sure you've looked ahead at the schedule. There's a stretch after this stretch where it gets really hairy. Yeah, after that, I think it's like 23 straight games against teams that are above 500 after this uh, this it'll, upcoming series. It'll be Pittsburgh. fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tanner's or, got it. The reason why that's no important problem. is because this is no longer about the schedule. Like, I don't care mm-hmm. who you're playing anymore. That because is true. Yeah. 
we've seen the Cardinals at certain points really take advantage of their schedule. They just did that where they had the 11 straight games uh, scoring four or more runs. That was great. Fun to see. They won whatever it was, six in a row against Pittsburgh or eight out of nine against Pittsburgh and Kansas City. Great. That's exactly what they needed to do. Mm -hmm. We also saw in the first half of the season, they had that stretch against Pittsburgh in Detroit and they completely fumbled the ball. And that's when we knew, okay, something has to change. And fundamentally, offensively, they have changed since that time period. This is now about the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. So if you're having confidence in the Cardinals moving forward and 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show to tell us where your confidence level is right now. If you have confidence in the Cardinals, I think from here on out, it tells you less about who they're going up against and more about the Cardinals themselves. Maybe it is because Nolan Arenado, who struggled over the weekend, Mm -hmm. but has been good for the most part. Paul Goldschmidt and Tyler O'Neill are hitting at the same time. Maybe you have faith in this pitching staff now that that it is getting close to being at 100% or as close to it as they can be. It's no longer going to be because they're going up against the Pirates or the Tigers or whomever. This is now about the Cardinals. And over the weekend, I thought it was interesting. John Mosellock gave his comments on where the Cardinals are at, especially coming out of that those first two games in the series where they lost 5-4 and 4 nothing. Well, I mean, obviously, you look at the last couple games, it's, you just never had that big hit. Um, but, of course, you know, this is a game of where they keep track and, and records matter. And so, unfortunately, you know, losing those two games um, hurts, especially when you're competing for a wild card spot. So I, I think the, the real thing to focus on now is between now and the end of the season, we just have to find ways to get wins. From our standpoint, you know, we're starting to get healthy. Getting Jack back uh, is super encouraging. We'll get KK back here um, today. A couple of additional arms probably by the time we get to September as we can expand rosters. So, you know, now it's, you know, can we take advantage of, of the schedule we have? I think this weekend showed me one thing, that audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest. Showed me the thin line for the margin of error. For this team they weren't able to come up with the big hit and we talked about this in the series against milwaukee as well you had that frustrating loss wednesday night where you lose an extra innings you had opportunities on the tuesday game where you end up losing two nothing even though the brewers were able to out hit you like 14 to 5 i think in that game so it wasn't as close as the score may have indicated then you get into this week and it's like man the, the cardinals probably should have won that game on saturday night mm-hmm. and they didn't find a way to do it on Friday, their offense just didn't show up, despite the fact that they got a pretty good start out of Miles Michaelis and his return to the mound. They just don't have a whole lot of margin for error right now, and that's something that's going to dictate their their opportunities down the stretch as well. Yeah, I think what, what that speaks to is really if this season ends up being not a not a great season for the cardinals they fall short they get eliminated let's say fairly soon in a couple weeks not eliminated but where you go okay too many games realistically speaking um i think what i'll take away from this cardinal season is they just didn't put together enough offense even though you can make an argument that pitching injuries kind of derailed the season, I think to be that team that has what you called a margin for error, mm-hmm. you've got that offense that's deep. You've got an offense where if you get past um, Nolan Arenado, you don't just breathe easy for the next two innings. And I think there's been too much of that at times from this lineup. I think they're not getting on base at a high enough level. And I think they very much need some, a, a left-handed hitter who can really hit. And they don't have that. So I'll see it as kind of a failure of the offense, at least the way I look at it, because I expected more of this team. And I think with the middle of the order that they assembled, there there needed to be more depth in that lineup. It's interesting that you say the word depth, because as you look around the league this year, I don't know if this is going to be a lesson for 2022 and 2023 and beyond, or if it's just specific to 2021 coming off of the shortened season. 
depth is the theme of the teams that are going to make it out of this National League. The Giants, that is their strength. They don't have a whole lot of superstars. They've got guys that are on the back end of their careers that at one point were that. They're probably not today in that same light, but they added so many pieces that they're able to platoon with. You look at their pitching staff and it's, I mean, a dozen guys have come in for them this year in the bullpen, and they've all been good. The Dodgers, we know about their depth. Gavin Lux is like a utility infielder for them right now, which is absurd. He was the number one prospect in baseball recently. Meanwhile, the Padres have not had that kind of a season. And you look at their pitching depth, and that's been the downfall Mm -hmm. for them. You look at the Braves, they had some pretty decent depth, especially with their pitching staff. And at the deadline, they added a ton of depth to that bullpen or that uh, outfield in particular. The Mets, what went wrong for them? Well, they didn't have any depth and they weren't able to cover the innings as a result. I think that's been the the lesson for me this year is that the Cardinals, and I've said all year, I think they're just one bat away. I still believe if you get one more big bat, that's the biggest thing that changes where you are in your trajectory. But they need more than that. Mm-hmm. They need to add a fourth outfielder, potentially. They need to add a little bit more depth on their bench they definitely need to need to add depth to their bullpen that's the thing they were missing this season i agree with you on that entirely yeah i think that you couldn't be more right about that depth point i mean and it's it's not only depth and um just having quality players throughout your lineup it's it's versatility it's if you look at the giants if you look at the dodgers Every night, those guys are playing different positions. You know, you have to have athletic players who can do that. That's really where the game's going so that they can build the ideal lineup against that starting pitcher. It's all about matchups now in every situation. You want to have an edge. You want to build edges for yourself. And I do think there's some, there's a little work with this roster as I see it, just to make it a little more balanced and a little bit more versatile and I think that's what they need to work on as as they move forward I think Tommy Edmond is symbolic of what you're talking about there Mm -hmm. because this year he's batting 255 with a 650 OPS against right-handed pitching he's probably a platoon bat and he should probably play wherever you need him to on any given day he can play outfield he can play second you can even probably use him at short or third in a pinch if necessary He should probably be a guy that the majority of his starts are coming against left-handed pitching. And then when a lefty comes into the game um, out of the pen, you throw Tommy Edmond in there as as a really nice pinch hitter, a good option for you off of the bench. For this team, though, he's starting every game. Right. And so that's been what's difficult for the Cardinals. They go into the season expecting him to be something that he might not ultimately be. And that's fine. But now you need to learn that lesson and take that lesson into the offseason and find an answer for you at second base and allow Tommy Edmond to be for the Cardinals. What maybe a guy like Chris Taylor is at times for the Dodgers or what he was earlier in his career. Maybe Jock Peterson even is a better example of this, where he never played against lefties. He was just a guy that as a lefty bat would come in and mash righties. That's the kind of thing that the Cardinals could use Edmund as, but in reverse. Right, and it's not just Tommy Edmund. I I think you could make an argument still that Harrison Bader hasn't proven he's an everyday player. I know he's having a good season. It's tailed off a little bit lately. He has made really great strides in terms of his offensive game. I don't want to take that away from him, but he has always been a guy who absolutely mashes lefties, has trouble with that right-handed breaking ball. He's better against it now, but there's still some susceptibility there. And then flip over to the other side of the the middle of the infield. They have two shortstops who are both both bat right-handed. You know, there's a, 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 a... an opportunity missed for a potential platoon. What could have happened if one of those guys had hit left-handed? So I think just thinking along those lines, as I think 
what the better teams are doing now would would really help this organization. And I think that includes Tampa. I think it at times includes the Yankees. Absolutely, those West Coast teams we've all talked about. So I just think that's something that they need to look at a little bit to build a little more kind of resiliency in the roster around those really, really good superstars. That well, you have. mentioned the Yankees. The lesson that they learned in the first half was, oh, we're a little right-handed heavy. Let's <laughs> exactly. go get Rizzo. Let's go get Joey Gallo. Right. Let's fix this in season. That's the kind of thing the Cardinals are going to have to do. But instead of in season for them, it's going to have to come in the offseason. With Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, our friend Katie Wu of The Athletic will join the show. Talk a little bit of Cardinals with her. Mike Farron of MLB Network Radio joins the show coming up at noon. But coming up next, the offense was the key over the weekend. And in specific situations, they fell short. How does that get fixed? And just how big of an issue has it been? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. We don't want to underreact. We don't overreact. So there's some, first of all, it's real positive. 29 hits, three games, traffic all over the place. Super frustration. We weren't able to cash in and, and be able to, because we do, we win all three. Um, I don't think there's any secret about that. We played, we pitched and played well enough to do that. Some balls get hit at people. Throw the guy on there, make some pitches. I feel like the approach is there. You know, we've been fourth in baseball with runners in scoring position since the 24th of June. So you're looking at, at two months now, coming on two months. That was Mike Schultz after the game talking about the Cardinals issues with runners in scoring position over the weekend. They were pronounced Arenado one for five over the weekend with runners in scoring position. Bader was one for four. Edmund 0 for three. DeYoung 0 for two. Combined those four guys were two for 14 with runners in scoring position with just one RBI. And with Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals just can't seem to find a way this year, Saxy, to get over that hump. They, they're looking for that big hit. They're looking to find a way to keep things going consistently. And that's been the issue with the offense. We've seen moments. We've seen mm-hmm. flashes. There was that stretch where they had 11 straight games with four or more runs, and that looked great. But then you have to take into account the opponents that they did it against. And over the weekend, we saw like it's just for whatever reason. And I can't always put my finger on it. This weekend, it was runners in scoring position. Sometimes it's been strikeouts, although they haven't been too bad with that. On base percentage all year has been an issue for this team. I don't know why, but for some reason, this team can't find a way to get any traction going offensively. And over the weekend, the runners in scoring position was a massive issue for them. Yeah, I'm actually glad you brought up the strikeout issue because, you know, we've all sort of reflected on the hitting coach's role in this. And Jeff Albert has taken a lot of heat, you know. Potentially, deservedly so. He hasn't found a way in the in these years that he's been here to get the offense really even in the middle of the pack. They've been below the middle of the pack, so that that's not acceptable. But one thing that they specifically when they when they brought him in, it was specifically with the, the notion of 
keeping the power roughly the same and cutting down on the strikeouts, mm-hmm. which is something a lot of teams are doing now. It's a, it's a big focus sure. for a lot of teams, including the Dodgers, by the way, who have tremendous power without a lot of strikeouts. The Astros were like the model of that when Correct. they won the World Series. And that's we, why. We yeah. now know there may have been something else that led <laughs> to that, but they were like the lowest strikeout rate team that year, and they were one of the tops in the league when it came to slugging. Yeah, and so they have done a good job. Their, their strikeouts are, I think, in the lower half of the mm-hmm. league. The last time I checked, they were in the 20s, which is very, very good. So give them credit for that. Absolutely. I think, and I and I do think hitting with runners in scoring position can be an incredibly frustrating thing. It can look like it's sort of the problem over time. But if you really kind of pull back and examine the numbers a little bit, I think what you'll see is that in general, they're just compared to the top offices, not getting enough guys on base and they're not hitting for the, the power that a lot of these teams are. So really... There's going to be individual games where it looks like, yeah, runners in scoring position, just a mess. But that's really what baseball is. That Mm -hmm. happens to teams all the time. Sometimes you go through a rut of two weeks where it seems like it's happening every game. But over time, that should sort of even out. What doesn't even out is when you just don't have what we talked about, the offensive depth or really the power and the on-base percentage of the teams you're, you're competing against. Yeah, I looked at this over the weekend. The Cardinals are now 16th in all of baseball and batting average. That's fine. It's okay. The problem is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. They're 21st right now in on-base percentage. On the year, they're getting on base just 31% of the time. It's just not good enough. Right. This was supposed to be a team that kind of was – its calling card was them getting on base. And the slugging, which they really sold out for early in the year, and that's been kind of honed in a little bit of late, they're 23rd now. They have a slugging percentage below 400 as a team on the season. Again, that's not good enough. Overall, offensively, if you're a fan of like OPS Plus and that stuff – They're roughly 10% below league average offensively on the year. And when you build your team the way that the Cardinals have with Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt and potential breakout candidates and guys like Carlson, who's been good, Mm -hmm. Tyler O'Neill, who's been great, Mm -hmm. you just need more than that. You Mm -hmm. have to be an upper half of the league offense. I remember when we first started going through all of these pitching injuries, this was probably late June, early July. BT was on the fast lane and he asked the guys, thought it was an interesting question, what does the Cardinals' identity have to be over the next three months for the Cardinals to be able to make a run and make it into the postseason? They all gave their answers, and BT summed it up. He's like, I think they have to be an offensive team. They have to be a team that makes their makes their headway down the stretch by scoring a bunch of runs because you just can't count on this pitching staff to get you out of jams consistently. And that's been the issue. They just never developed that identity, despite yeah. the fact that they do have a couple of stars in the lineup and they've got a player in T- Tyler O'Neill who's playing like a star. They just were never able to get over the hump this season. And maybe that is personnel. Maybe it's the coaching. I don't know what it is. But I think if you're looking into towards the offseason now with the Cardinals being where they are in the postseason race, I think that's going to be the number one thing that the front office has to discern what is the biggest issue there? Is it personnel or is it coaching? And mm-hmm. then make a, a decisive decision there on which one it is and go head in that direction full bore. Well, I would hope that they would know that it's, you know, 99.9% of the time it's it's the personnel. And I hope they don't lean on the coaches and say it's your fault. And I don't think <laughs> they will. I don't think so. That's not kind of the signs we're getting, right? I mean, he's been very – He's de- John Mosaic has defended Jeff Albert. Mm-hmm. He's defended Mike Schilt at times. So um, – but I think I think you're exactly right that you do have to look at the roster a little bit more, and you have to you have to you have to build in a little more depth. You have to build in a little bit more um, a little more pop, frankly. And I agree with BT because 
The other aspect of that is this is not a big strikeout pitching staff, right? At Which all. I, I'm okay with because they've got the arguably the best defense in the National League, I think. If you look at the outfield now, the infield's been tremendous from before. You don't need a big strikeout staff. You've got Flaherty. That's enough. But if you're going to live with that, then you're going to have to score more consistently than this, this team has done. Yeah, and you mentioned adding more pop. I'm, I'm a big advocate of slug, baby, slug, because mm-hmm. that's what a lot of World Series teams do. No doubt. But, but we had the conversation today on the Dame Show with BK about build around your ballpark. Mm-hmm. I, I'm starting to kind of lean away from the slug because it's going to become that much harder for it's, – or not, it's not that much harder, but the Cardinals' ballpark isn't a home run hitting park. So that's one thing that I'm starting to kind of push away from. I do believe that slugging is where it's at in today's game of baseball. I, I, I just don't know if it's going to fit for the Cardinals playing here at Bush Stadium because it's not a home run hitter's park. Now, it is a, you can have a doubles team, and I think that's the way the Cardinals right. should go about looking to build yeah, it. Tommy good Edmund, hitters. Yeah, exactly. Good, good hitters. That's Tom, what you do. Tommy Edmonds got a ton of doubles this year. Dylan Carlson was starting to show gap-to-gap power, yeah. and we think he's going to do that. Tyler O'Neill. So I think you're seeing kind of the foundation of that, and I think you just need to add somebody else to that. And I would like to see a little bit more speed, too, in my opinion. I I'm, I know on the broadcast they were talking about it yesterday. Why is this team not running more? I mean, you have to generate offense. That's the number one thing for me. You've got guys that can steal. Bader, Edmund, uh, Carlson, when he's healthy, I think he's got to be Goldie the dude. Goldie has running. stolen bases in the last three months. Like He's starting to add those Goldie up. Goldie is one of the smartest base runners you'll ever watch. It's I, I guess a young Albert Pujols would be similar. He stole if you third guys recently, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was yeah, him Goldie who did, did. It. It, was, yeah. it. It was that uh, moment when we thought it was a double steal when Arnato never went. He's, yeah. Arnato was shocked just like us. His game is, his mind is very rarely out of the game. He is very attuned to what the pitchers are doing, what the catchers are doing, all, all of that stuff. Somebody on the text line said, so you guys are saying all the numbers. What's the fix? So many people tell the fans all the BS, but what is the actual fix for them? I think it's what Saxe and what Tanner were both saying. You need more guys that are capable. Like There's a certain threshold of player that you have to be to get consistent at-bats in the big leagues. And the Cardinals for too, too long this year didn't have that caliber of player. Was it, whether it was coming off of the bench or starting in their lineup, going into next year, make sure you've got those holes plugged. Like Jonathan Scope in the offseason, now he's unavailable, but last offseason. Think about how how important of an addition that would have been for this team. Or keeping Colton Wong, how significant that could have been for this team to have a legit leadoff hitter. Then Carlson is batting second for you. Arenado and Goldie slide in at 3-4. Now Tyler O'Neill, as the strikeout guy that he is, mm-hmm. maybe he's batting either fifth or sixth for you. That's how you extend the lineup a little bit. And right now, they don't have that. So the fix to the situation is you need one, two, maybe three guys that you got, you're got. you both talking about right now. You need players that profile as being significant contributors, even if they aren't starting every day, that can coalesce with the current roster that exists. If you want to give our listeners something to fantasize about, the guy who I think fits just beautifully with this roster is Corey Seager. Because talked about him a lot. Yeah, he's, he's got tremendous pop. I mean, I remember being in L.A. Um, early in his career with the Cardinals, and he hit an opposite field home run off the Cardinals. And Mike Matheny, he knew I had covered the Dodgers before, and he said in his post game thing, he said, "Boy, the ball just travels different off that guy's bat." And he kind of looked at me, and it, it really does. This is a very talented guy. Now he doesn't stay on the field a lot. That's his problem. He's a little bit kind of in that Tyler O'Neill category where just as you're getting excited about him, he's off the field for a month. So that's something to look at really hard with the medicals and the offense. But I just think he fits so beautifully with this roster. And then 
I still think Paulo, Paul, excuse me, Paul DeYoung could be a very, very good player. Find somewhere else for him. Again, that just lengthens your lineup more, right? Find different positions for these guys to play. They're all good athletes. Yep. This is an athletic team. These guys can play other positions. And Paul DeYoung, as a super sub utility infielder guy, makes a ton of sense. Guy like, can bring out, he'll hit a home run for you in the eighth inning, win, win you a game. And it, whether it be that or as a trade chip that gets you something else that is useful, that's that's mm-hmm. the thing this team's going to have to do in the offseason. They're going to have to find the best way. Andrew Kilsner's another guy. What is his best value to you? Is it as a backup catcher or as a trade chip where you send him elsewhere to get you a reliever or a utility out infielder or fourth outfielder? Like what is his best contribution to this team? Is it on the roster or as a trade chip? That's mm-hmm. you got to look at these these situations going into the offseason to find out where you can best situate yourself as a team. With Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, if you've got a question for Saxy, get those in on the text line. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Coming up next, though, Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider for The Athletic. What'd she make of the Cardinals losing two of three over the weekend? How significant is this in their potential playoff push? We'll talk to Katie about that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That's Mark Saxon. He's Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. Saxy filling in today for Alex Ferrario. It's his last week of vacation before the NHL season kicks off. So we've got Mark Saxon pinch hitting for him today. And right now we're very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by the one and only Katie Wu. She's the Cardinals insider for the athletic. You can follow her on Twitter. She is at Katie J Wu. Katie, we always appreciate the time. We were hoping that we could talk with you after like, uh, you know, a series win or a sweep or something of those lines. But how are you doing today? Well, you know, um, for whatever reason, it feels like 7 a.m. And I think that is a great synopsis for where we are at the season. Um, But other than that, I feel great. It, it actually makes a lot of sense. It was a long weekend. It took a while to recover from a tough weekend for the Cardinals. What did you make of their series against Pittsburgh? I know it was strange with the runners in scoring position, uh, position, the lack of success that they had there, but what did you make of their overall series against Pittsburgh? I mean, I think uh, any way you look at it, it's disappointing that they don't win that series. Um, I, I know that the expectation is when a team with a record like the Pirates come in, you know, you're like, oh, we'll just sweep them. It's easy. But as we know, it's not easy to sweep baseball teams, no matter who the record, what the record is or who they are. But you were confident that the Cardinals were going to be able to pull off a series, win there, and they could not. Um, so I, it's definitely easy to be disappointed when you see two and four over the last week. Um, but if we're looking for positives, I thought minus Friday's game, the 4-0 shutout, they looked competitive in every loss. Um, they were definitely by no means out of any game against the Brewers. And, you know, a couple game, a couple things going well on Saturday would have changed that outcome there. Um, but, you know, they can't go back and make and, and fix that week. What they can do is take advantage of this week, which is arguably the most imperative coming up if they want to be even considered in playoff contention in September. They have to take advantage of a two-game set against the Tigers, and they have to go and win that series in Pittsburgh next weekend. Uh, And then, as you guys know, it's a pretty important three-game series against the Reds. So, no, they did not get the job done this week or last week. They absolutely have to turn around this week. Otherwise, I'm not sure if there is a, a point in talking in September about what their October picture looks like. 
Hi, Katie. By the way, it's 1139, so you are a very typical baseball beat writer, I think. Yes, you, I'm learning. You work late nights, and you don't like to get up super early. <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh. I, like, had my alarm go off, and my friend's here. I was like, I'm going to go for a run, and I did not do that. Uh, um, I actually slept for two more hours, and it was a great decision. Yeah, now it's too hot. Uh, I have a question for you, because... One of the things I always liked to do when a team was in either a good streak or a bad streak was just kind of take the temperature of the room, you know, just kind of stand in there for a minute after a game. What's it feel like? And it's such a shame because I don't think you guys are doing that yet. Right. So I'm just wondering, you have insights that we're not able to get by either being around at times or being on all these calls. What do you think is kind of the frustration within the room that is sort of most persistent with these guys? I, yeah, that's a great question. I think the the most frustrating aspect is the fact that they have all the pieces back. I mean, you know, it can be understood when they weren't performing up to expectations and they were without Miles, they were without Jack, everybody was hurt, they didn't have their full outfield, right? But now with the exception of Dylan Carlson, who looks to be coming back pretty soon, they have those pieces back and they just haven't been able to put together a consistent product. I mean, you saw how well they looked again. I know it was against Pittsburgh and the Royals, but they went 6-0 and there. You know, that's Winning streaks like that are hard to compile no matter who the opponent is. And they looked, they played good baseball. And they just can't find that consistently. And I think the more frustrating thing is, is they've actually been markedly better since the All-Star break. I mean, they've, they have a winning record since the All-Star break. They have shown they know how to play winning baseball. They can get it together. They just haven't done it consistently enough to escape the hole that they got themselves into in June. And I think that's the frustrating aspect is, okay, well, now every single game is a must-win scenario. And there's a lot of weight when they lose coming from the fans, coming from the media, coming from us on, okay, well, how did you lose that game? And how does this affect, you know, the very limited chances you have going forward? So just coming from conversations I've had with players, with coaches, you know, they're still very optimistic they can make a run. They have six games left head to head against the Reds, the Padres, who are looking not great, guys. They're not looking great. They have a grueling schedule in September. They play either the Giants or the Dodgers, arguably the two best teams in baseball, a combined 19 times. Uh, so the Cardinals are, I think they're kind of helping or hoping that their full rotation, I mean, they have potentially two starters and Kim and LeBlanc when he's ready, going to be out of the bullpen. Um, they haven't had that luxury all season. You have to like the Cardinals' chances of having Jack back and how he could stabilize that rotation. And I hope, I think that they're confident they can make a run. It's just in the back of their head, you know, they know that they can't do that until they play more consistently. And that's hard to ask because over the last month, they have played consistent baseball. It's just the question of whether or not it's too late. We're talking to Katie Wu for another few minutes here on 101 ESPN. Katie, you mentioned the, the, the health of guys coming back. What's the latest as far as you understand it with KK and his role that he's going to be coming into and then Carlson and when you think we can realistically expect him back? Sure. Well, I think with Carlson, you know, he was out there doing drills yesterday. He was hitting, he was taking the field. The left side feels good, obviously, the right side with the sprain there is the issue. Um, we could potentially see him by the Tigers series, but I think with as well as Lars Newbar is filled in, if Dylan isn't absolutely ready, there's no reason to push him back. Uh, I think the Pittsburgh series is probably a little bit more uh, realistic for the return of Dylan. For Kim, I think it ultimately just comes down to efficiency. This is would be Kim's third injured list stint. He has looked really good the first time through the order. The first three or four innings, KK cruises, his pace is quick, he hits his spots, he gets his soft contact. You know, he's not 
going to pitch heavily for the strikeout, but what he does in those first three innings really works for him. He induces a soft contact. He's utilizing his pitches, and he gets, gets quick outs. Where we've seen him run into trouble is those middle innings like the fifth and the sixth where he slows down, he labors more, he's having a hard time getting through the order. And I think that combined with a little bit of injury concerns and making sure, because again, it wasn't like he had anything wrong. It was the recovery, right? He wasn't taking enough, it wasn't enough time for him to recover and be effective. So I think it's a culmination of those factors. Also that the fact that the Cardinals have five starters for the first time pretty much all year where they were like, okay, you know what? Our bullpen looks really good. KK can obviously get those quick outs when we need him. Let's put him there. It'll save his arm. He can, he's stretched out to be a starter if they need him. But for now, let's see what he can do out of the bullpen and let's see how effective he is, knowing how effective he was as a starter for the first three innings. I think that is that there culminated with the rotation and uh, just, just his overall health concerns led to that decision. So all the talk about just sort of the team has never really gotten it in gear, other than that six-game winning streak, just kind of cons- the consistency you talked about, just never kind of mm-hmm. gaining that forward momentum, right, hovering around the 500 mark. BK and I uh, were kicking that around a lot, and I think we've solved it. And I, <laughs> I wanted to give you an opportunity to argue with us. To me, what I see is they just don't have quite enough hitters. They just don't have the offense some of these other teams have. And therefore, even though you have a, a pitching staff which has done pretty well despite a lot of injuries and now is getting healthy, you're just not getting series where you win a couple of them as laughers, where you get a five-run lead. You're just not seeing any of that, and you're not seeing any margin for error for, for the pitchers. Do you think if you were to analyze what you've seen all year, that's what you would come to, or am I off my rocker? No, I think that's a great point because as you were describing the offense, I literally thought of the term margin of error and you said it. When you have an offense that is, you know, not as consistent as they definitely could be, as they should be on paper, it puts a lot of pressure on your pitching staff. And, you know, you can't expect all these guys to be Jack and Adam, right, who, Mm -hmm. you know, you can give them two runs and they'll be, all right, that's plenty, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll be fine, I'll be fine with that. It puts a lot of pressure on your rotation. It puts a lot of pressure on your bullpen to come in every night and have to hold a one- to two-run lead. And it really amplifies the bullpen if they do make a mistake. I mean, we look at the big three, we look at Cabrera, Gallegos, and Reyes, and it's so easy to be frustrated when things don't go well, but you have to think about how they've operated all season with that limited run support. Like, obviously those mistakes are going to get magnetized and it's a late any meltdown, but can you really blame them when they're consistently working with a one-run lead, if that? So I think that's a good point, and it's not like they don't have the potential. I mean, it's been really encouraging to see Goldschmidt, Arenado, and Tyler O'Neill heat up at the same time because you can see what that looks like. I've been really encouraged by Lars Newbark being able to come in and mm-hmm. adjust to hitting. I think what the Cardinals have really been missing is that second left-handed bench bat. You look at the mm-hmm. benches of most teams, and they have a lot of versatile hitters there, while the Cardinals only had one, and that's Matt Carpenter. And so having two options there is huge. Um, I really like Sosa off the bench, but I agree that with Paul DeYoung's lack of production, you know, there has to be some split time there until Paul can figure it out. He has the power. We've seen it. It's just, again, a matter of consistency. And with Harrison, too. We saw how good Harrison was in July, and he's tapered off a bit. So what has not really clicked for this Cardinals team is all of their hitters getting hot at the right time. And that's been a season-long problem, and I think it makes it all the more frustrating because when you have a pitching staff that has become as, as reliable, both in the rotation and the bullpen as the Cardinals, 
all you need are a couple runs a game, and sometimes they can't get you that. Well, Katie, hopefully we see that come together this week against Detroit and Pittsburgh before they start the gauntlet that is their schedule in the month of September. We'll be talking it over with you again next week. All the best to you and yours, and we'll talk with you again soon, Katie. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Bye, Katie. That's Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic, joining us here on 101 ESPN. I think that last point that she said about the Cardinals not being able to get their best guys hot at the plate at the same time, that's so critical. Because we saw, yeah. we saw like one week, really it was, it kind of coincided with that Pittsburgh and Kansas City, the six-game winning streak. We finally saw Arenado yeah. and Goldie both hot at the plate at the same time. It's like, whoa. Oh, so this is what they envisioned. This is what it was supposed to be like. And then Arnado went cold. Goldschmidt is still hot. Since May 1st, he's batting 300 now. He's been great for the last four months, basically. But Arnado went cold, and now we saw over the weekend what that does. And they finally split up for the first time all year, Goldie and Arnado in the game yesterday. And I wonder if we see more of that moving forward. And them hoping to be able to capture what is in Tyler O'Neill's bat between the two of those guys. I think it's worth a shot. It it can't be worse than what we've seen thus far. It's worth giving it an effort. Oh, yeah, there's no question. And I couldn't agree with you more because I was around just – I was covering the American League when the, the Red Sox had Ortiz and, and, and Manny Ramirez, and there was mm-hmm. just something about – just two absolutely transcendent hitters, right, in the middle of your lineup. And that's kind of, I think, what people sort of started daydreaming about when they got Arenado because we've seen that production from Goldschmidt. And, you know, the fact that he's doing this still for this organization, the fact that Goldschmidt is as hot as he is for as long as he is, is incredibly important for this organization, regardless of what happens in 2021, because... You know, kind of how we've seen with the Giants this year, we all, and I'm very guilty of this, we fall into this trap of just assuming, okay, you're 31, you're going to get worse and worse at a very steady rate all the way until you're out of the league. Doesn't always work like that. Brandon Crawford's having a great year at 35 or whatever he is. Just signed a two-year extension. Buster Posey was hitting the heck out of the ball. So it can happen. And it could happen for Goldschmidt. It could happen for Aaron Allen. Next year, they could go crazy, and the thing we talked about happens. The funny thing about Goldie is we were so concerned about him early in the year that I think it influenced the way we talked about him for the remainder of the season Mm -hmm. because he's been good now since Mm -hmm. May. Since May 1st, that's kind of the delineation right there. He was not very good early on, and I think a lot of that was because he was hurt. If you remember, opening day here in St. Louis, he didn't play, which is not like Paul Goldschmidt. It's not like him to miss games in general, but certainly not on opening day for the home opener. Um, and since May 1st, it's been great for them. So maybe that is a telling sign that going into next year, you can expect Paul Goldschmidt to be Paul Goldschmidt again. And if that's the case, man, that that is a massive development for the Cardinals. If I'm not mistaken, he has a better OPS now than Nolan Arenado does. does. I he think does he indeed. just passed him. Um, and to your point about being hurt, I could not agree with that more. Typically, what I've found is that when a really good player struggles for a long period of time, there's something physical going on. And we don't worry. We never know what these guys are playing with in a lot of cases. Yep. They're just not going to divulge an injury that they're playing through most times because you don't want to tell the other team <laughs> your hand's killing you or whatever it is. So I do agree with you. In so many cases, that's that's kind of the culprit. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Coming up next, we're going to dive into some questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Mark Saxon is in studio with us in place of 
Alex Ferrario for today. Nothing Alex will be back next questions. week. Nothing but blues <laughs> questions today. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my blues. best. All I'll blues all day best. long. We got this one from the 618. Hey guys, do you think that if that if Corey Seager is too pricey of an option for the Cardinals, a more modest deal for someone like Chris Taylor would make sense for the Cardinals? Mm-hmm. Oh, Taylor, Zach, you've seen a lot of. I have seen Chris a lot of Taylor Chris Taylor. Taylor. You know, the right-handed part is not ideal. At least for me, I really see this need for like a legit stick from the left side. Um, but boy, he's a very interesting player. He can he's a great he's a heck of an athlete. He can really run, play everywhere for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no doubt if they got Chris Taylor, they'd be a better player. Do I see him as, you know, the roster piece? Not necessarily. And for me, it's the right handedness. Um, they have kind of somewhat similar guys who could do at least that role. Um, so I, he wouldn't be my guy, but I like the name and I think he's a very, very good player. I, I love him as a fit for the Cardinals, even though he is right-handed, but I just don't know, even if, like the texter said, you know, if they can't pay for Seager, I don't know if they want to get involved with Taylor. I, I think right. his market's going to be... Look at his numbers. He's going to get paid. And yeah. he can yeah. play multiple positions, mm-hmm. and you got the Dodgers who are probably going to want him. So what mm-hmm. you're probably going to have to do is you're probably going to have to lure him away from the Dodgers. You don't want to get in that bidding mm-hmm. war. So. I feel like he's got four years... $80 million right yeah, all over him. Be, like the be. Dexter Fowler deal that he yeah. signed here in St. Louis. The I feel like Ben Zobrist be. kind of thing. Yeah. That's how you market him, right? I He's a really good player. I like him as a potential fit. If you're going to pay that much for a utility guy who's basically a supercharged version of Tommy Edmond, mm-hmm. I don't know that that makes a whole lot of sense for them. At the, in that scenario, I would rather just go out there and pay whatever it's going to cost for Corey Seager. Right. Now, I don't think the Cardinals will... <laughs> agree with that assessment but i think it makes more sense if the difference is six seven million dollars per season between the two obviously term is going to be significantly different the the number of years for seeger but i think it makes more sense to go big in a scenario like that if you want to go with a utility guy the one that i think makes more sense because he's a he he can do a little bit of everything is with Merrifield. I don't know uh-huh. if the Royals would trade him or not, but he's super cheap. He's got an unbelievable contract. He would fit at the top of the Cardinals order. He's the one that I would be looking at. That's a great name. Heck, Brad Miller's a good name. I mean, let's oh, not forget Millsies. what he did last year. No, we already had a eulogy. We can't bring him back. <laughs> oh, you did? Okay. All right. if, if there's been a eulogy, then officially. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah right. we can't bring him back after just, that. No, you don't want to. It would not be good. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Saxy, how about Nolan Gorman at second base and Edmund as a utility player going into next year? What do you think about that possibility? I mean, I think that's the plan, right? I think that that is where things are trending. I mean, when you get Nolan Arenado in your top your top hitting prospect as a third baseman, he's not a third baseman anymore. Okay, so that appears to be the plan. Tommy Edmond could be a superb utility guy, maybe even as you said, a super utility guy, which is essentially an everyday utility mm-hmm. guy. He just plays a different position. Um, love it. I think it's fantastic. Now, the the, the key there is. Nolan Gorman's got to get hot at AAA. I mean, they obviously want to give him some time at AAA. They don't want to call him up when he's struggling. So, but again, he hasn't been there that long where he's going to have to, you know, tear it up for three weeks before he's hot. I I don't think it's a bad idea to maybe give him a cup of coffee in September. Get that kind of out of the way. You know, the, the nerves of coming up to the big, big leagues, all that. No pressure. You're just up here, you know, September call up. So absolutely that to me. That sounds like the plan. I know you've been doing some stuff in the minors for mm-hmm. the Cardinals, t- uh, their magazine. Mm-hmm. 
Have you talked with Nolan Gorman at all? Have you seen much of him thus far? What, what's been your impression of, of Gorman? I talked to Nolan, but this was about a year ago, I want to say, on all the tech stuff that he was using. This is a guy who's really analytical. He had he purchased it himself. He has huh. a Rapsodo. He bought something called a Win Motion, uh, which is basically if any of you out there have the the Oculus, you know the VR system, you plug this in and you can type in you know Jacob Degrom, and suddenly in virtual reality you're seeing Degrom pitch at you, wow. and, it, and you can pick up pick up spin. You can see velocity. He does a lot of that kind of techy stuff. And he's extremely committed to getting up as fast as he can and showing what he can do. I really feel highly about this kid, but I do think you have to time it right. You want his confidence to be at an all-time high when he comes up to the big league. You want him to know he can do it. Yeah, I'm curious to see if they do decide to bring him up in September because you brought that up, and I didn't think it was even a possibility. I, do you think it's possible they do that with Libertor too? I know he's been pitching better of late, and I know it's a different position pitching-wise, but he would be another one I would keep an eye on too. Well, I think the key there is you're going to want to keep him, assuming they're not cutting down his innings, you want to keep him on that every five-day thing. So if he comes up, he's going to be in your rotation, right? I guess you could use him in the pen, but it doesn't. he doesn't like profile automatically as a guy who necessarily – you know, fit real well there with his routine. I, but it, it's an interesting name, and all these guys are in play. I mean, I I was in Springfield the night Libertor pitched. We were in the second row, and boy, I'm telling you, that guy's got sick, sick stuff. That curveball, he was tying guys up with his fastball. He's going to be really good. For what it's worth, Nolan Gorman in his last 36 games now, this is 150 plate appearances for AAA, is batting 325 with 16 extra base hits, seven doubles, a triple, and eight home so runs. So we're starting to see exactly what we just talked yeah. about. When he's hot, that's when you bring him up. Interesting. I wonder if yeah. that'll be a possibility for him. It's 12 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we got to talk about Adam Wainwright, a throwback in every possible way, including the innings eater that the Cardinals needed somebody to become. So Wayno, we'll talk about him in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, Mike Farron. He's a host of Power Alley over on MLB. I want to get his impression of this Cardinals team and where they fit into this wild card race. Mike Farron next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll talk about Wayno and what he's done this season, which is just remarkable, honestly. Coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. But right now, we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by one of the best baseball analysts in the country, for my money. He's Mike Farron, host over at MLB Network Radio. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mike underscore Farron. Mike, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm great. How are you guys? We're doing fantastic. So let's start out. I, I always love getting the national perspective on the local teams when we get the opportunity to do so. Mike, what's your impression of this Cardinals team? Um, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about right. what it is locally, right? The fans feel exactly like you do. <laughs> I mean, well, no, I know. I mean, I think, like, listen, they're, they're like losing Jack Flaherty for two months just absolutely train wrecked a lot of this for them. Right. But I think it's an inconsistent offensive team. And as much as they've made a couple of big moves to upgrade the offense, the last few years, the complimentary pieces haven't consistently been there. And, um, you know, the bullpen is frustrating because it walks a lot of guys, even though everybody throws a bazillion miles an hour and 
you know, I should be talking about Wayne Randall. Like he's been unbelievable. Like he's had a great year and they've had to count on a 39 year old to really help carry them. So, um, you know, I kind of feel like they're about where they should be record wise, which, um, you know, is like actually a little bit better than what their run differential says it should be. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just, I haven't felt that really, and, and maybe I'm the outlier in this, even when they were, you know, won a couple of divisions recently, I didn't feel like they had a great team ever. Um, you know, I think they got on a great run in the second half in 2019, but, but I just feel like there's, you know, the, the, they're still kind of like a little bit short in terms of talent to be able to compete with Milwaukee and maybe even Cincinnati this year. Yeah, and I think that run you talk about, Mike, in 2019 was largely fueled by what Jack Flaherty did, right, in the second half yeah. with a sub-one ERA. I'm curious. I mean, Goldschmidt had a good second half, too. Yeah. I mean, the, the other part is, like, at the All-Star break, I mean, Paul got really hot and I think helped to carry that offense. But you're right. I mean, Flaherty was dominant. Well, what we are seeing now is finally kind of Paul Goldschmidt getting some forward traction in a yeah. season and whether he – you know, we kicked around whether he might have had an injury that they weren't reporting early in the season that was bothering him, but he kind of looks like Goldschmidt again. You saw that for years out there. When he locks in, is there anybody you've covered or watched, you know, co- consistently who really kind of just performs um, almost at the same level week in and week out? Um, yeah, that's a good question because I got here in 2016. Okay. And that was kind of at the run where Paul, at the end of the run where Paul from week to week was Paul Goldschmidt. He had a little bit of a blip in the middle in 16, um, 17. He had a stretch where he struggled a little bit and then got crazy hot right at the same time that JD Martinez did. Mm-hmm. And 18, he got off to a really rough start and mm-hmm. then was unbelievable for three months. So it's hard to say that at this point, at least the Paul Goldschmidt that, that I covered and the, the one that's here now, I don't think that there's, I'll put it this way. I don't think there's a lot of dissimilarity between what he is now and what he was maybe four years ago in mm-hmm. terms of that, where the, the, maybe the um, valleys are a little deeper than they were early in his career. But in terms of presence, in terms, and I realize that that's you know non-analytical and mm-hmm. the nerd and the conversation mm-hmm. might probably be using something other than that. But in terms of presence, in terms of quality of at bat, in terms of you know when he does get his timing right, I mean he he is capable of of giving you a two or three month stretch where he is you know one of the best offensive players in the league and. You know, listen, he, and I know we've talked about this before. He always brings it defensively. He's a tremendous base runner. He's a great resource for the other hitters. I think one of the things that has been cool in the last month, even though, you know, and it's helped the Cardinals get over 500, was the fact that he and Arenado finally got hot at the same time, you know? So, um, I, I mean, I think that there's, there's a lot to like about Paul, but I, I don't know that it's quite to the level that it was in, like, say, 2012 to 2015, but he's still, you know, for my money, one of the best you know, three or four first basemen in the league. We're talking to Mike Farron here on 101 ESPN. Mike, it's interesting. I We're, we're totally with you. And what I've been surprised by is I, I think people have been slow locally to catch up to the fact that Goldie's been awesome basically since May now. He's batting 300 in that stretch. He's yeah. got an OPS of 870. So his season has completely turned around since it seemed like he got healthy. You mentioned earlier you think they're just missing a few pieces that these other teams have, whether it be the Dodgers, the Giants, the Brewers, maybe even the Reds. 
What do you think those pieces are? Like, if I put Mike Farron in charge of the Cardinals, you become John Mosaylock for this offseason. What are you targeting for this team? Well, well, first of all, in order to be John Mosaylock, I'd have to have a bigger budget to be able to match him on the fashion front because that guy dresses like nobody else. A cardigan, maybe a bow tie. We can get this, we can get this I mean, figured out. You better start studying fashion now if you're going to yeah. do that, Mike. No chance that I'm going to be able to, to catch up to Mo on that level. Um, you know, I think that there's a couple of things that, like, I mean, obviously Carlson, I think, is an important piece. O- O'Neal, I know, has had a really good year and and has been, you know, great for the most part. It's been very good for the most part. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of curious to see how he finishes. I would want a little more time on that. Um, I think, you know, upgrading the middle infield is probably the easiest thing to do. I mean, Paul DeYoung, I went back and looked at this, I think, earlier when the Diamondbacks were playing the Cardinals this year. And DeYoung has really hit under 200 since, I think, the beginning of May or middle of May in 2019, the year mm-hmm. that he was an all-star. And so, you know, that and that kind of surprises me. I thought DeYoung was going to hit a little bit. I had questions about the defense. Um, so, like, I think, I think, you know, they're second base, putting Edmund into more of a utility role. I think those would be spots that I would look at. I would think that if you can upgrade with a little bit more certainty in an outfield spot, I would do that. Um, you know, obviously they're, they're, you know, I would make sure that you bring back Bueno and, and Molina because I think that, that if you were the general manager of the Cardinals and you didn't do that, you would be run out of town on a rail. So <laughs> there's probably a little bit to that. And I, and I think just finding a little more consistency in the bullpen. I mean, that, that's actually a pretty long list of things to do. You know, it's a really good free agent shortstop crop. Um, and I think that there are some good second basemen that could be available, you know, either via trade or, um, you know, in free agency that, that might be able to help you there. But the problem is that they're just not going to, like, they spent a lot of money on Goldschmidt and Arenado, even with the, the Rockies taking back $50 million. I mean, Nolan makes a lot of money, and I can't see them necessarily doing that. So the question is, can you trade for those guys, or can Nolan Gorman be part of the answer? You know, I think there's probably more power to come from Carlson. I don't think he's going to be I, – I, I think he's going to be a really solid player. I'm not sure that I've seen superstar with him, but I think that there's – you know, they're starting to kind of turn the corner a little bit in the outfield, especially if what we've seen from O'Neill this year is real. Um, so, like, I think those are kind of the spots that I would look at, and – yeah, I just think changing up the mix, I mean, as much as anything, I know that that's not a, a real analytically driven thing either, but there are a handful of teams. The Cardinals strike me as one. The Mets strike me as another. You know, I think the Phillies are another. Those are just three in the National League that I can think of. That really, I, if I were, were consulting for those teams or, or in that front office, I would say, hey, look, you know, sometimes we just need to, change out similar personnel for different personnel in an effort to just try and get a little bit different feel here. And I, I, that's something that I would think is a little bit tougher to try and prove, but that's just kind of my feel from watching them play the last couple of years. I mean, I don't think any of the issues that they have now are all that different than the ones that they had a couple of years ago. We're talking to Mike Farron here on 101 ESPN. Hey, Mike, we've got you on while there's some breaking news in baseball, so I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Uh, okay. The Padres just announced that they have fired their pitching coach, Larry Rothschild. Um, the Padres hmm. have obviously been struggling mightily over the last few weeks uh, at a minimum. It might even go back a little bit further than that. And a lot of it is just pitching health. Like I don't know how much of this is on the pitching coach versus mm-hmm. the pitching health. 
But what have yeah. you made of their struggles of late? It's been super surprising here locally. I, I'm frankly stunned. We are now in late August. The Cardinals are three games above 500, and there's even any talk about them being in the wild card. But the Padres' struggles have kind of led to that. Well, yeah. I mean, the Padres, I mean, if, if the season ended today, the Padres wouldn't go to the playoffs. Yeah, the Reds amazing. have passed them. So, you know, I, I mean, listen, I, Larry Rothschild's been a really good pitching coach for a long, long time in in the majors. And I'm not sure that changing it up is going to do that much to really help them. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, somebody gets blamed for what's going on, even if there's, you know, it's not really their fault. And I don't know if they're hoping to change the mojo or the mix or what, but like, let's look at what's going on with the Padres pitching staff. Hugh Darvish was hurt. He was a little bit ineffective before that happened, right? Joe Musgrove has been pretty good all year. He had one blip, but, but generally he's been pretty good. Blake Snell has been really inconsistent, but Blake Snell had some inconsistencies when he was in Tampa Bay, too. You know, he has a Cy Young Award, and we all saw you know, him get pulled off the mound in the World Series last year and pitch well in the playoffs. And so, like, there's exciting stuff with Snell, but he hasn't been the most consistent starter even before he got to San Diego. So I don't know that you can put that on, on Rothschild. He hasn't really had Denelson Lamette this year. Chris Paddock is hurt, and Paddock was inconsistent, you know, last year and, and – um, this year, which I don't necessarily think you can blame on Rothschild. And they haven't had Mike Clevenger at all this year. I mean, like they, they've had a lot of injuries that have impacted them. Their starters are the major issue. You know, th- their offense hasn't been quite as consistent as you would want it to be. But with Tatis back, it just changes the complexion of it. And I, I just don't, like, I-, I guess I don't get it. I don't understand unless there was some sort of major philosophical difference between Larry and and either, you know, Jace Tingler or, or, you know, the front office, like, I, I'm not sure that I understand, but I mean, yeah, this is, this one kind of surprises me. Um, and it sounds like it was, I mean, the, the way the release makes it sound like it was Jace Tingler's decision. So mm-hmm. I don't know if there's something in the preparation that they feel like needs to get better, but, um, you know, letting go of your pitching coach with six weeks to go in the season is unusual to say the least. All right, Mike, I want to put you on the spot. And be, yeah. be prepared to duck on Twitter, all right, after you answer this question, if there's such a thing. Uh, so you mentioned that for reasons of just fan bonding, that the front the Cardinals front office would be remiss if they didn't re-sign uh, Yadier Molina and, and Adam Wainwright. If I were to say Still to you... I think it's the right term, Mark. Okay. If I were to say to you, <laughs> strictly based on your analysis of the player... Would you bring back Yadier Molina? For okay, let me give you more. Let me give you more information. For nine million dollars per year, which is what he's making now. I mean, if I'm just looking at the stat line, probably not. But knowing his influence on the pitching staff, um, and knowing that he's still a good defender, you know, I don't know where, where the framing metrics have him right now, but a I'm lot assuming lower, he's actually. Yeah. pretty well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they could be lower and he's still, you know, mm-hmm. I, my guess is he's still pretty good at it. He also yeah. is probably as much as they try to bake into those pitcher command, it can be really tough to do. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you have your know, bullpen that has had this, Missed their spots as consistently. Hey, you don't have to Carter. be kind. They've been terrible with command this year, Mike. Well, no, I mean, like, listen, but, but I mean, like, listen, sometimes you get dinged for a pitch that that starts on the inside part of the plate, and, and you're, that's where you're set up, and you end up catching it on the outside part, and it gets called a ball. 
you know, even though it's still a strike, that's not Yachty's fault. Sure. So like yeah. that, that's, that's command issues. Right. And sometimes even with the, the effort to massage the numbers, it doesn't pick all of that up. I, I don't think offensive production at catcher is what's doing in the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. So I think there are ways that you could address that either in the middle of the field, or if mm-hmm. you want to find, you know, more consistent offensive, you know, offensive corner, or you want to end up with a few platoon, um, you know, pieces that help to fill that out. I mean, again, you need to be able to have the payroll flexibility to do that in free agency or the willingness to part with prospects to make trades. And, and we know the Cardinals have, have parted with some pretty good outfielders over the last couple of years, <laughs> pretty good players over the last couple of years. I mean, listen, you got to trade good players to get good players. I get it. But so I, I don't think that that would be that just based on the fact that, you know, he's what his OPS plus is like in the seventies or eighties, that that would be a, uh, a death knell for me for, with the Cardinals. I mean, I would, I would talk to him about hitting down at the bottom of the lineup for mm-hmm. sure, but I, I don't, I, I mean, listen, I think all the other stuff that, that Yachty is valued for all the, the stuff that's less tangible, I totally buy into that. And so mm-hmm. I don't know that you're going to find a better defender there. Not to mention, I'm not sure, like, who's the better option? Who are you replacing him with? You know, is it Kisner? Who's, you know, like, I mean, I get that they think he's, you know, part of their future behind the plate. Like, there's a lot to like with Kisner, but, you know, is that it? Or are you going to go outside and try and trade for a catcher? Or are you going to try and sign one in free agency? Like, you know, who is it that's going to replace him? And, and what's the cost there? I think all of those things have to factor into it as well. Mike, you're the best man. We always appreciate the time. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. I always enjoy getting your insight on the Cardinals from afar. Thanks so much for hopping on. I'll talk with you again soon, my man. Yeah, anytime. Take care, guys. You got Mike. it. That's Mike Farron, host of Power Alley over on MLB Network Radio. You can follow him on Twitter as well. He's at Mike underscore Farron joining us here on 101 ESPN. The Yachty conversation is an interesting one because he's right. If you just look purely at the numbers – the answer to your question is no, you probably don't bring him back. But of course, it's not just about the numbers. It's also about what he brings to the club. It's about what you'd be saying to Nolan Arnato, who looks up immensely to Yadier yeah, Molina. And true. one of his first comments that he made after joining the Cardinals was, I can't wait to be a teammate of Yadier Molina. What message does that send to him if a legacy player who he looks up to is not brought back on solid terms um, in Nolan Arenado's second year here in St. Louis probably wouldn't be great. Um, so there's other things that you have to take into account. And I think because of all of those other things, yeah, Yachty's going to be back next year for his age 40 season. And I would imagine that next year will be the last time, though. I think next yeah. year is going to be his final year in a Cardinals uniform. That Arenado point you just made is a fantastic point. Because I can say this now because it's happened. But for years, or for at least a year before the deal happened, Arenado had texted Yachty saying how badly he wanted to play with him. So you're right. I think he very much looked up to But the other point I thought that was interesting that Mike made was the way in which pitch framing metric could be influenced by just awful command from some of the pitchers. Because it is, it will, it's, it's, it's looking for strikes that you steal or balls that should have been called you really can't blame him if he's, as he said, if he's setting up inside and the pitch is, you know, two inches outside. That's not his fault. Yeah. But he'll his number will be affected by that. So that, I thought that was an interesting point as oh, well. Oh, for sure. And eventually we'll get to the point where we've got robot umps and none of this mm. will have to matter. And then we can move <laughs> forward from there. 
there we go. With Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, baseball history was made over the weekend with a guy that I think gets a little bit of uh, short end of the stick. We got to give him his credit coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, speaking of giving credit, Adam Wainwright has been unbelievable for the Cardinals this year. Is he working his way in, into some sort of award watch? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That was my one goal that I was kind of willing to talk about before the season was leading this league in, in innings. After last year, I felt like I, I was going to be able to come close. You know, I knew I was going to be able to throw a lot of quality games, but, um, you know, Wheeler had a big lead on me, and uh, I've been gunning for him for a while now. You know, he's the guy I keep looking up going, all right, I'm coming, man. I'm, I'm coming after you. And uh, he keeps throwing out sevens, you know, so it's making it hard. But I'm, I'm, uh, that was my goal coming into the season was to lead the league in innings and then everything else is going to fall into place. That was Adam Wainwright after the game last night. Once again, another gem of a performance by Adam Wainwright. And now on the season, he is, he's right, he's coming for Zach Wheeler in the innings pitch department. Adam Wainwright is now at 162 and two-thirds innings on the season. Zach Wheeler leads the league at 168 and two-thirds innings. So Waino just six innings behind Wheeler. He is now in sole possession of second place in the National League. With Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Saxy, Waino has been unbelievable. Yesterday was his eighth start, or excuse me, fourth start this year of eight or more scoreless innings. He is the first pitcher with four such starts at age 39 or older since Randy Johnson did so <laughs> back in 2004. It's he now has five wins since the all-star break that leads all of baseball. I can't believe that he's doing what he's doing. I should, maybe it shouldn't surprise me at this point, but the way that he's been able to bounce back after what were two or three really bad seasons for Adam Wainwright by his standards and really by any pitcher's standards is absolutely remarkable. And what we've watched so far this year, I don't know what award he could win. I don't think there is one that he's going to win. I'm not sure there is one that he's going to get significant votes for, honestly. Mm -hmm. But they should have some kind of an award for a pitcher that does what Wayno is doing this year. <laughs> yeah, you know, it doesn't quite fit in comeback player of the year because he didn't miss last year with an right. injury or something. But something comeback like that. Comeback career? Right? I, I don't let's, know. Let's, like, let's, let's fine tune that. Let's fine tune that one. But the interesting thing, if you talk about accolades with Wainwright, and I, I've, I've wondered this for a long time. So he got hurt in, in the middle of his absolute prime. Um, he had a stretch where he was top five in Cy Young voting from 2009 through 2014 four times. Mm -hmm. And in there, he missed a year with Tommy John. And then in 2015, of course, he missed the whole year after the Achilles injury. You wonder without those two devastating injuries, if this guy is, if not a lock for the Hall of Fame, very much a Hall of Fame caliber pitcher. Um, because of that, because, again, two seasons in the midst of when he was absolutely at the height of his power, still throwing in the mid-90s with the great curveball. What if he wins a Cy Young? What if the team wins another World Series? Now you look at his career in an entirely different light, right? So you're right. What he's doing is remarkable. But I think what it reminds us of, this guy's a hell of a pitcher, and he has been for a long time. I think what we were seeing in that stretch kind of 2016 through 19, mm -hmm. 
he wasn't right. He wasn't physically right, and that's what he says. We, we tend to not take these guys at their word at times, but maybe that's exactly what it was. His just arm was barking every, you know, bef- between starts every time, and he just wasn't the same guy. So who's to say this can't go on for two or three years? The way the league hits breaking balls now, as atrociously as guys hit breaking balls, this guy could go on for a while. You don't have to, you don't have to throw 95 when you have that good a curveball. Yeah, it, it really is remarkable. And to your point on the weight pitches, we've talked about this. I think we brought it up last week. I think sinker ballers, guys that have the curveball that work at the bottom of mm-hmm. the zone, that's almost becoming in vogue again right. because you have all of these teams that are just going high four seams, high mm-hmm. four seams, velocity, spin, all of these different things. And when you've got these guys that are working at the bottom of the zone now and they're pitching to contact, especially here where you've got such a tremendous defense behind you, that can still work. What is old is new again in a lot of ways. And for Adam Wainwright, that means old literally, um, not just uh, figuratively in the way that he pitches. And now you're getting to the point where I'm with you. If he had, he almost, I remember talking about Kurt Warner when he got into the Hall of Fame. It was Bernie Miklas who brought up the point that he had a donut career where he at the very beginning, there was just this unbelievable entrance into the league. You have the Super Bowl greatest show on turf, all of that. But then in the middle, there was this this donut hole where it, he's a backup in New York to mm-hmm. Eli Manning. He ends up going down to Arizona. It's kind of this weird in, intermediary between uh, Matt Leinart. And then he ends up becoming the starter. And then at the end, of course, in Arizona, he takes off again and he yeah. takes them to his Super Bowl. And yeah. so you had this donut hole of a career and it ended up being good enough in the prime, uh, the, the beginning and the end that it was worthy of being a Hall of Famer. Right kind of where Wayno is, but just not to the same degree of the peaks. Right. Where he's like the reason why multiple teams went to the Super Bowl. And let's not forget, it's a much harder Hall of Fame to make than the Football Hall of Absolutely. Fame. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I do wonder if you didn't have that hole in the middle with the two injuries, two massive injuries, not just right. like a sprained ankle right. that lingered for a while, but Tommy John and then ended up with the Achilles as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. If you don't have those, I do think he's probably a Hall of Famer because right now, if he pitches, I don't think he's going to want to, but if he did pitch another two, maybe three years, I think he could do enough to get himself in. Um, But if he didn't have those injuries, I think he'd probably be pretty close to a lock at this point. I absolutely do because at that time, it was him and Kershaw, right? They were the one-two guys who who should start the All-Star game that year. That's all anybody was talking about. They were both dominating the league. And then, boom, the following season, he has that, you know, the, that elbow injury. So um, I absolutely think he would have been one of those guys. He, but right now, in terms of if you're projecting him going forward, I mean, Rich Hill is still, still doing some good things. Charlie Morton is still doing, doing some th- good things. He's kind of in that category, a guy that's around 40, but just has that absolutely vicious hook, can do so many things with it, and guys just can't handle it. I do wonder where he fits into their plans next year. Because he's got to be, at this point, if he wants to come back, you have to bring him back. I think so, yeah. I think he's past that threshold. So if you have Flaherty and Wayno and Michaelis, and I would imagine they're expecting Hudson to be back next year. They've talked about how he might even be able to return to the bullpen here in a couple of weeks and help them out in that capacity for the remainder of this season. There's four. Mm -hmm. I really wonder what their fifth starter is going to look like next year. I think they're going to have some interest in bringing Jay Happ back, I would imagine, because of the way that he's pitched for him, and they'd, they'd like to have that lefty mm-hmm. available to them. I know they have talked about getting Alex Reyes some starts. I would love to see that as an option, and then they have so many guys down in the minors. But if they end up bringing Jay Happ back, I do think that pushes KK 
away. I think he ends up elsewhere next offseason, especially now that they've talked about bringing him back as a reliever for the remainder of this year. And I think that means Alex Reyes probably reverted back to a bullpen role going into next year. And I just I, I don't know that that's what I would do, but it feels like we're headed in that direction if they bring Wayno back and Jay Hat potentially. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think it makes sense to bring Wayno back because, as you said, it doesn't, you know, you already did the one year deal and he and he lived up to his end of it. So I think he deserves the right to finish his career with with this organization. Um but then you do have a pretty full rotation. But I think you're also looking at a rotation with older guys with some injury risk, especially with Dakota Hudson and even Miles Michaelis. Mm-hmm. So you do you are going to need a lot of depth there. So maybe Hap does make sense. Maybe you still build up Alex Reyes as a starter. If you need to, you scale him back and use him as a multi-inning reliever until maybe somebody gets hurt and you need him in that role. Or... And I think you do also have to be cognizant of the fact that Matthew Libertor could be coming like a freight train next year. You just don't know when he's going to be ready and when they're going to call him up. Zach Thompson could have a very good season. He could be in the mix. So you do have to keep a couple spots kind of flexible. But as we saw this year, you need really seven starters. You have no trouble throwing out there on a given night. That's the thing for me is you can't have enough starters. So like we talk about, oh, their, their rotation is going to be logged in. Well, We've heard it, the saying of, well, it's going to work itself out. It's worked itself out for the Cardinals now. They had a, they're had they getting KK back in the bullpen. And BK, you brought up the point of, well, I think if you're going to ha- bring back Hat, they'd have interest, and I think that pushes KK away. I think if KK pitches well out of the pin in the next month and a half here, I think you still express interest in bringing KK back. I know his health has been a big thing for the Cardinals this year. Sign him to a one-year deal. Maybe he's in the bullpen. Maybe he's a guy that's depth in the rotation if you need a spot start. And if he remains to be effective against, whether it be left-handed hitters, you have another lefty in your pin you can go to in KK, or maybe he's a guy that can get you six out. Maybe he becomes a multi-inning reliever. If you're bringing Reyes out of the pin, there goes one of the big three. Not saying KK will take that spot, but I'm saying maybe KK could be a guy that could help bridge the gap between whatever your new big three is. Maybe it's Hicks to slide in for Reyes. Maybe he can take that sixth inning spot because I think he can still be an effective one-inning lefty. He throws strikes. That's the number one thing that the Cardinals needed early on in the pin this year. If he can do that in the next month and a half, I would still look at. I'm not saying do it, but I would look at bringing him back to take in the bullpen role. Oh, I'd love to see it, but I don't think KK is going to agree to that role for a full season because they even said publicly, Mike Schilt did over the weekend, yeah, KK, if he were to choose, he would like to come back as a starter. So if he's going to have starting possibilities elsewhere outside of St. Louis, whether that's here in the States with, with a major league team or back home, I would imagine, and this is me projecting, but I would have to imagine if he has other opportunities to start somewhere, he'd probably take that over what he would get for the Cardinals as a relief pitcher. But I, yeah, if if he's willing to do it, I'm very interested in bringing him back in that capacity if it goes well down the stretch. Yeah, I much prefer KK as a starter. I just think you get more value there, and I think he fits on <clears throat> in this organization. Again, we've talked about this a lot, but the good defense, right? He's going to pitch to bad contact. He doesn't give up a lot of home runs. He keeps the ball down. Um, and so I think that fits kind of in, in this organization. Um, but again, it's, it's, you know, either him or Hap, you don't want to have too many guys where you're blocking your, your best prospects from coming up. Not that that would be the case because when those guys are ready, they should be up, but you know, you don't want to, you also don't want to overload your bullpen with starters that you're demoting, right? That's not a good look. You want to have electric arms down there, ideally, you yep. know, all those guys. So it, it's a, it's an interesting thing, but I think we all agree that as they're sort of doing an architecture of this roster, 
the pitching staff doesn't cry out as needing like you know a very expensive fix. It it cries out for needing maybe a little depth help. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. With Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But coming up next. Miguel Cabrera just made baseball history. Who's going to be the next to join him? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. ball right center field that's got carry it's gone number 500 and history for Miguel Cabrera that's what it sounded like yesterday on the Tigers TV network as Miguel Cabrera joins baseball history with his 500th career homer he is now the 28th member of Major League Baseball's 500 homer club he is the first to do so since David Ortiz Mm. back in 2015 and I love the symmetry of his career he is a triple crown winner and that's what he's going to be known for forever he now has a 311 batting average. He's up to 591 doubles in his career, 500 homers, and he has 2,955 hits, Saxy. So he's very likely to join a very exclusive club of 500 homers and 3,000 hits. Aaron Mays, or excuse me, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Eddie Murray. Rafael Palmero, Albert Pools, and A-Rod are the only others to ever do that. So no good no good players. Yeah, no, okay. no, no great ones. It's remarkable, man, what Miguel Cabrera has been. And I I strangely feel like he's almost kind of an underrated player in this era of baseball because of, of what it's been like the last five years or so for him. He just hasn't been the same guy, and the Tigers have just been so bad of late. But he's one of my favorite guys to watch because he is the all-around hitter that you don't see a whole lot of in mm-hmm. today's game. Having a 300 career batting average while having that kind of power is almost something I'm not sure we're going to see a whole lot more moving forward. Yeah, and I'm really glad we're taking a minute to kind of, you know, acknowledge that he did that because it is kind of, you know, like we talked about this a little bit off the air there. We have this we're in this era where you you almost seem like a dummy if you mention batting average. Mm -hmm. Right. But. For me, among the elite of the elite, it's kind of a separator because you see a lot of guys right now who hit, let's say, 40 home Not a lot, but you see guys who hit 40 home runs, get on base at a tremendous rate, OPS is tremendous, and they're hitting 240 or they're hitting 250, right? That, that seems to be the modern kind of baseball player, what they're looking for. But the elite of the elite, the guys like, you know, Joe DiMaggio, 318 lifetime hitter, 325 lifetime hitter with all the home runs. You know, Vlad Guerrero, that's what got him in, a high batting average with a ton of home runs, the power. It's those guys who can not only hit the ball out of the ballpark for you, but a guy like Miguel Cabrera, and they saw it here for years with Albert Pujols, he'll shoot a single to right field to win a game for you too. Mm -hmm. Those are the greatest of the greatest hitters. They can do it all, and that's what Miguel Cabrera is. He's very much, to me, you know, you could debate – Pujols or Miguel Cabrera, I think Pujols for that 10-year stretch probably was the better player, but breadth of the career, you know, it's It's an interesting conversation, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty close, because if you look at it, Miggy's decline has not quite been as pronounced as Pujols' was, and it does also, like, watching this right now for Miguel Cabrera, it makes me wonder what some of those milestones would have been like if Pujols was in St. Louis, and I know we've talked about this before, but... 
Mickey's doing this with the team that he's going to eventually be known for, right? He's, mm. He didn't start his career with mm. them, but the majority, when he became this player, this version of himself, that was with the Tigers, and he had the postseason success with them, of course. And I, I wish we would have been able to have that kind of treat here in St. Louis with Pujols as well. But on your point of like who, who's going to be the next guy mm-hmm. to do this, right? We always move so quickly to who the next guy is going to be. So you have Pujols right now at 677. He's the active leader among all players. Miggy's next at 500. You've got Nelson Cruz at 443. He might play until he's 45. <laughs> and if he does... He's somebody that really could end up in this club. Right. He's still a great player, so it's possible he gets there. You'll sort of ding him for the DH thing, but sure. yeah, you're right. If he keeps hitting like he has been, he might get it when he's 50. So he might be able to get there, but other than that, you've got to go pretty far down the list. So now you're down to um, Robinson Cano, who he ain't getting there. He's yeah. at 334. And the next guy, the fifth highest on the active home run leaders list is Giancarlo Stanton. He's 31 years old. He's dealt with a million different injury issues over the course of his career. He's up to 332 home runs in his career. So he still needs about 170 to get there. You think Giancarlo Stanton will get there before his career is over to the 500 uh, I, threshold? He's probably, what, about 29 at this 31 point? 31 now. 31, okay. I it's all dependent on health. I mean, that guy is as good as anybody. I saw him hit a home run the other day that was just like a rocket to right field that got like 10 feet off the ground. Playing in a good place guys. to do it. Yeah. Um, I just honestly, if he's only going to play half a season, I think there's no chance. But if he can somehow figure out a way to keep his body right and, and not have all these injuries, I think they're, I think he's the kind of guy who would do it. He's the reason they gave him that money, that contract. There's a reason the Cardinals would have taken on that kind of risk to have a guy that like that. He's special. But... You know, again, and again, he's not going to be, he's not going to have the high batting average like some of the guys we were talking about before. Sure. He's going to be more of that true slugger. I think if you're looking for that type guy, other than Mike Trout, I can't really come up with a whole lot. We, Freddie we Freeman was the only other one name. that I could really find that's Great kind name. of up there for that, from that degree. Um, Manny Machado is, is okay on the batting average side of things, but it's not like a 300 hitter. Um, maybe, I, maybe the, a Vlad Guerrero eventually would be that guy since we we already mentioned his yeah, dad. Junior. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah another young one I thought of too. What about Ronald Acuna? I know sure. he's coming off yeah. the knee injury. Acuna and Tatis. But he was right. he was on pace to hit over 40 homers again. He was hitting 283. That's about where he's sitting now in his career is about the 280s. He's only going to get better. He was a name that I kind of thought of too, thinking of the young guys that have a chance yeah, to do so it. Yeah, so after Pujols and, and Miggy are gone, you're going to have a little bit of a, a gap to those super young guys, right? Like you've got these great, you know, 39-year-olds, but then you go down to like 22 and 23. Juan Soto is another guy we could throw in there, right? So... But you're right. Like other than Freddie Freeman, not a, a like great his, name for yeah, this. He's yeah. probably the closest thing to what we're talking about right now with the young guys. Because a lot of those guys are, are great, but they will strike out. They'll mm-hmm. have like 280 batting average. He's like 90th Soto's, percentile on everything. Yeah, Juan right. Soto's the guy that's going to end up uh, in this club with like 315, 320 so, batting yeah. average type of seasons. He's just kind of a next level kind of hitter. Yeah. It's it's going to be interesting. It's why baseball is in such a good spot in my mind right now with the young guys, because you do have, I mean, we can point to five, six, seven different guys that are right. 25 or below that could legitimately be in this kind of a club. And there was a little bit of a gap. Mm-hmm. It was like a seven year gap between mm-hmm. the previous era and then this new ushering in of the young guys that could potentially be able to do something like this. But um, to, to be able to watch both Pujols and Cabrera in their prime and then to watch them and 
mean, you go back to 2006 and these guys, I, it's, it's remarkable, man. It really is. And to be able to watch him uh, hit his 500th home run over the weekend is, is one hell of an achievement. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. And and you're seeing again, like just to, to, it's a treat to be able to watch these guys accomplish these things. You know, they're very late in their career, but I don't think pools is going to get to that 700 mark. But, you know, again, it's incredible to see these guys hitting these these marks that are just really the, the, the sort of the entryways to immortality. With Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie coming up in about 15 minutes or so. So what do the Cardinals do in the outfield when Dylan Carlson returns? I know what our text line is going to want them to do. We'll talk about that in 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, we'll dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. In 10 minutes, we'll tell you what the Cardinals' plans in the outfield should be when Dylan Carlson returns to the lineup whenever he's healthy. But right now, let's dive into the junk drawer. So on Friday, as we're on our way home, getting back and getting into our weekend plans, Alex Ferrario, who's out this week, it's his final week of vacation before the hockey season, sent Tanner and I an article about hot dogs. Because Tanner is a big hot dog guy. Huge fan of hot dogs. They're the best. So this article is about some research that's been done on how much of your life you're cutting off by eating a hot dog. Oh, no. Don't do this to me. According to this study from the University of Michigan, every hot dog you eat, your healthy life is shortened by an average of 36 minutes. 36 minutes for every hot dog oh, that you it was eat. 36 seconds. Nope, 36 minutes is are an they, hour. Are they the average. good minutes or bad minutes? Those are the Which healthy minutes. That's the healthy life. Do we ever truly oh. have healthy minutes? Well, think Tanner, I think it depends assuming who you we're ask. healthy now. <laughs> oh. Which is a big, big, big. Burgers and macaroni and cheese, just to give a little bit of context, according to this study, shorten your healthy life by about five minutes. That being said, apparently this thing works as a little bit of a ledger. A handful of cashews can extend your healthy healthy years by 26 minutes. So right. maybe right. every time that you eat a hot dog, what right. you do is you balance it out by eating a handful of cashews. That's all you got to do. So you make yourself a nice lunch. You get your hot dog. You get your mac and cheese. Just have cashews for dessert. You're fine. Perfect. Or maybe I, like, does, it, does Snickers make a cashew bar? Yeah. See, sure. I don't know if the chocolate, I feel like the chocolate's got to throw uh, it off there. Uh, nah. I, I may not if be. If it wasn't in the survey, then they don't know. This may not be my it. expertise. Salted peanuts add 26 minutes to your life. Oh, I, yeah. can do that. I like peanuts. How about On this? That. Apple pie adds one minute of expected healthy life. All right, that tells me one the survey minute. is not right. There's no way. That is beautiful. Chicken wings only take three minutes off oh, each chicken nice. wing. I feel like I've had a few too many yeah, chicken wings for that's that. That's a lot though. of minutes when you like add them up, really. That's one of those things where, like, it's like my wedding, right? You, you, you Each individual expense, not all that bad. You add them all up together, you're like, wow. Yeah. When did we spend that amount of money? I probably lost an hour of my life Saturday night we had wings. So I probably had enough just to, that was an hour by itself. I feel I don't know where tacos land on this. I don't see them on this particular sheet. I don't know if they studied tacos. But... I would think that'd be around cheeseburger, right? Probably. That's the meat. Um, it could be in the hot dog range, and I would never stop eating tacos. That's the one food that I just wouldn't be able to go- give up. 
Like I could tell me yeah. every taco you eat for the rest of your life is taking away an hour on the back end. It'd be worth it. You're crushing like tacos That's anyway. Fine. Yeah. I would rather go through my life getting rid of the back end while enjoying the tacos on the front end as opposed to uh, just not being able to have tacos. Yeah, that sounds mi- miserable. My my uh, my MO for eating is just mixing a salad every once in a while. There you go. I'll that's you a good that. MO, just though. Mixing a salad. Yeah, that's, that's a, a good MO. That's the way I do. That's how I go about it. Tanner, are you going to consider giving up hot dogs after hearing about oh, this? Oh, hell no. What, what kind of question was that? No way. Toy, all right, now can I drill down on the hot dog thing with Tanner? Because I'm, I'm a big Chicago-style hot dog guy. How do you like to dress your hot dog? Oh, I, just ketchup, mustard, relish. Oh, get out of here. Oh, spicy mustard, preferably. No. You don't That's need anything wrong fancy. Answer. You don't need anything fancy. No, what you need is chopped tomatoes, no, chopped gross. onions, sport peppers, yeah. mustard. I could go that for is peppers. a Chicago style hot dog. It is so darn good. Onions, tomatoes, no shots. Oh, no. Somebody on the text that. line said, so according to my calculations, my healthy minutes expired years ago. <laughs> That's the thing. I do wonder, like, is there is there a maximum that you can take off of your yeah, life? Yeah, it's called dying. <laughs> You reach that maximum. <laughs> like, what's Joey Chestnut doing? And how is that guy still alive? He must eat a ton of peanuts. There's a great documentary on, about about those guys. I think it's one of the ESPN docs. I think it's 30 oh, for really? 30. I watched half on, of like, it. like Kobayashi and Chestnut? Yes. Those guys train their butts off. Seriously. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. So, like... I don't know what he's doing in between, but something that, you know, doesn't take, you know, minutes off his life, I assume, right? Well, I would imagine, because if you, because his record is like 70-something, right? Yeah. And that's in, what, like 10 oh, minutes? Wait, does it count? Because does it count if you, like, vomit it up? Because I'm pretty sure that's what that's, they do. No, that's the big, you know, thing is avoiding that, right? Like, yeah. Some, they're not all hot dogs either. Some of them are worse, like liver eating. Oh, they'll, they'll do everything. Yeah, it's, it, so it's a little bit of everything. There you go. So awful. There's like pie eating contest. I mean, it's it's all over the place. If you're eating 70 in one setting, I mean, that's, you're taking off like... <laughs> 210, what was it? Was it three it's minutes per 36. So it's just saying 30 it's 30. Sir. That would be a lot of minutes. 30, None of us. That's basically 35. We've learned. Roughly, it's over 35 hours of your life because I'm doing by 30. All right, so he just took a day and a half off his life off he one. He took 42 hours off of his life in one setting. Oh, right, yeah. That's so that's right. two, he, he took two days off the back end, basically. He better eat kale and cashews when yeah. he's not eating hot dogs. <laughs> salted peanuts. Apparently, that salted adds peanuts. 26 minutes so you can. Yeah. Peace out the ledger a little bit there. What do you think the ultimate, like, number one thing that adds the most to your life is? I wouldn't think it'd be peanuts. According to this, it looks like it's the salted peanuts. That's the highest thing on there. Super greens, they call it. Super foods, right? The antioxidant ones, I think those are. But I wouldn't think peanuts would be, like, the number one thing. I know that survey probably doesn't have, like, everything covered. But I'm thinking peanuts surely is not number one. There's a healthy store a couple uh, a couple down from the studio here. That's I, why I, don't know I, I stopped it. and I had a buffalo chicken wrap. I feel like that added a couple minutes <laughs> to my life. What do you Mark think? Saxon adding years to <laughs> minutes to his life. I could have gone to Pot Belly and instead I went to the Fit Fit Flavors. I love it. That's you know what you did. You did good for yourself Thank today, you. Mark Saxon. Right. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're gonna play a game of In or Out. If you got anything you want to send in, you can text those in six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. But coming up next. What do the Cardinals do in the outfield when Dylan Carlson returns to the lineup? We'll tell you our plan. We'll hear from you coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. 
Mark Saxon. He's filling in for Alex Ferrario today. Ferrario out this week on vacation. His last vacation before the blue season gets into high gear. I'm Brandon Kylie. That's Tanner Hendrickson. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If you want to get involved for in or out, that's coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line to do so. Wanted to talk about the Cardinals outfield situation right now. Yeah. Because Lars Newtbar has been playing very well for the Cardinals since getting this opportunity. Since Carlson's injury, he's appeared in 10 games, and in that stretch, he's batting 355 with three home runs, five RBI, and an OPS over 1,000, over 1,100, in fact. Saxy, whenever it is that Dylan Carlson returns from the IL, and I feel like he's going to miss these two games against the Tigers. I bet you it's, it's the Pirates series when we see him again. Mm-hmm. What do you do in the outfield? Do you keep throwing Lars Newbar out there against right-handed pitching and do a little bit of a platoon with him and Harrison Bader and slide Carlson over to center? Or when Carlson gets back, do you keep Bader out there and Lars Newbar becomes a bench bat for you? What do you do with Newbar whenever Carlson's returned? I like the first idea you threw out there, or at least the, the possibility of that idea. It's going to kind of depend on how guys are swinging it even game by game going in, and they've kind of played it that way. I think the big... Like, if you really step back to, like, 30,000 feet and, and assess the whole situation, it's just so much better of a situation than they had a year ago just because they are all producing in their own ways. You know, Tyler O'Neill is nailed down left field. Harrison Bader is, is a much more interesting offensive player than he looked like a year ago. And Dylan Carlson is about what you expected, like a really, really good young prospect coming up. My guess is, as you said, Dylan Carlson is going to play every day. That's not a question. He's been that guy all year. Once he's healthy, they're going to plug him back in. But Newt Bar gives you a guy who's interesting, right? You can you can slide him around. If O'Neill gets hurt, he play there. But I do like this idea of against uh, you know tough right-handed pitching, maybe throwing him out there and giving Bader a blow. I, I would definitely go to that platoon right now, especially the way he's playing. I, the offense is so inconsistent. We we talked about in the opening of the show about, you know, you can't find a way to score against the Pittsburgh Pirates. So if he's providing a little bit of a spark and he's got the OPS around 1,000 or above 1,000, then to me you have to platoon him. You, you put Bader. What you do is, to me, you slide Carlson into center field against right-handed pitching and you have Newbar in right, and then maybe you do a defensive substitution late and to take Newbar out because he has made a couple of mistakes uh, defensively, I was at the game on Saturday. He misses the cutoff man. He bobbles it, and then the runner goes from first to second. So there's a mistake that Bader doesn't make, Carlson doesn't make, that he made. And then against left-handed pitching, you just go back to your normal outfield where Bader's in center field. And I don't like pulling Bader out of the lineup because he's so good defensively, and I normally would say, you know what, he's a perfect eight-hole hitter on a good National League team. But the way your offense has been playing and the way he's swinging, he's hitting below 200. He's striking out 33% of the time in the month of August. He looks like a bad beta right now. Yeah, so this to me, bad version of him. Yeah. to me, you have to pull him out of the lineup against right-handed pitching and trying to try and get him right on the bench. But that's the other thing is, can I do it that while he's on the bench, or does he have to play every day to figure it out? That's going to be the toughest part to balance out because the numbers tell you Newt Bar's the guy to play right now. For sure. So one thing to keep in mind schedule-wise, in the Tigers series, you've got one righty and one lefty that are expected to start. But once you get into the Pirates series, Three, the first three games in that series, you're expected to go up against left-handed pitching. Now, that's the current schedule that could change. Who knows who's going to mm-hmm. actually end up starting those games. But if it stays as planned, you're going to face a righty tomorrow night, and then you'll face four consecutive left-handed pitchers. So that could play into this decision as well. Right. It might be as simple as, well, when Carlson returns, he's going out there. Newt Bar goes down to the bench, and you keep uh, Bader out there because 
in his career, at least, he's been very good against left-handed pitching. The last game in that series against Pittsburgh is when you'll face a righty again. And that's going to be where things get interesting. If Bader struggles in those first three games against left-handed pitching, I think that's when you probably have to go to Lars Newbar. And you say, you know what, we're, we're going to go with him in this final game. You could sell it pretty easily, right? Mm-hmm. Getaway day. Um, that's a 12.05 first pitch coming off of a night game. We're going to get Bader off of his feet for a day. He'll get the start again tomorrow. Like they'll, They can easily sell that as to why they're going about it that way. But I do think if they end up going that route, you can read a little bit into it. That yeah. maybe down the stretch there will be, even if it's not 100%, a slight platoon between Newt Barr and and Harrison Bader. Yeah, and I could see them doing it for that one game, but as it, we all talked about, we could see we see that as a good scenario. Is it the ser- scenario I think that they'll do? No, because I, I think th- they really want that defense from. Bader. I think they really want that defense from Bader, and I think he, they they feel like based on previous scouting reports, etc., he's just the better player than Lars Newt Barr. And the problem with that as a platoon, of course, is that you see like. You, you see two-thirds of the pitchers you see are righties and one-third are lefties, so you'd want the, the better player to be playing against, you know. So you would want, in other words, you would want Bader to play more. I, I think what will probably happen for the most part if you were to look at the situation is Newbar is going to sit on the bench. I just think that's what it's going to be because, you know, look, no, Lars Newbar was not this uber prospect, right. right? He's a guy who has not, you know, jumped, he's had a great 10 game, you know, days or whatever it's been, but... They're, he'll probably go back to the bench would be my guess. And the other thing, too, is do you want him to sit the bench or do you want him to play? I know, And by play, I mean send him back down to AAA. Yeah. I know that's the thing that the Cardinals have weighed with, like, an Andrew Kisner, mm-hmm. and I, they've even discussed it with Lars Newtbar in the past, too. They did that originally uh, when, who was it that came back? Was it Bader when Bader came back from the broken rib? I think it was. They optioned Newtbar back down mm-hmm. so he could play. I, I think that's going to be the other challenging part, and, Though he provides a spark for the Cardinals, I don't know how much he can continue to do that when he's coming off the bench because hitting off the bench is such a difficult job. He's done a pretty good job of it so far. Yeah. But you're right. It, 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 but see, that's the challenge of a bench player. They they either can do that or they can't. And this might be a good time to find out whether he's suited for that role so that you know going forward. And but, that is something they have to figure out, too, because we've right. talked about that. We've heard uh, John Mosellock say, you know, it's hard to go out in free agency and get a guy that wants to be the bench bat. Right. So if you can kind of groom them internally, then that's perfect. And th- it will be interesting to see if he can become that, because if he is, he maybe is that fourth left-handed bat outfielder for you. Right. And he w- saves them going out and getting that guy. We already talked about the Brad Miller type, right? And when I heard Willie McGee talk over the weekend, he was on Bally Sports Midwest pregame show, and he was talking about Lars Newt bar and I was like, man, yeah. he sounds all in on Lars yeah. Newt bar. Here, here's what he had to say on their broadcast. Ooh, I like him, man. I like him. I like his whole uh, character, man. He comes in here. He's like he's been here, not in a cocky way, but I mean his personality, his exuberance, his, it, it, it's it's uh, like he's been here before. And I tell you, man, you're a pro, man. You're a big leaguer. Just messing with him, you know, but he's in here fired up. He goes about his business like a big leaguer. He works his butt off. And he could play. I like I like him a lot. I I between that and Mike Schilt's comments the other day, this was last week now, he was asked pretty extensively about Lars Newtbar as a guy who came up with the right kind of swing. And because he he's so confident with it and so consistent with it, it has become more powerful over time as well. He's adding power to his game as he goes, which you sometimes see. I think they expect Dylan Carlson to do something similar right. over the course of his career. And he was talking about how he just loves the approach that he takes, not even just within each individual at bat, 
but also the process of preparation and what he does with the film work and all of these different things. It sounds like Newt Bar is going about everything like a big leaguer, as you just heard there from Willie McGee. It does make me wonder, can he be the guy, as you guys mentioned, that's your lefty outfield bat going into next season? Because if you're looking for places that need an upgrade, if Lars is not that, that is absolutely something they need going into 2022. But if he can show you enough down the stretch, and this is probably why you got to play him a decent amount, he could convince me that, yeah, maybe you just go into next year with him and a guy similar to Jose Rondon that can come in on a minor league contract that can maybe be a little bit of competition. Maybe that's the route you go instead of going out and spending three to $4 million on a lefty outfield bat. Sure. And that's, it's always better to develop your guys internally rather than to have to go out and get that guy. Cause when you're adding those pieces, they do get expensive, you know, collectively in terms of your off season kind of plan. And that'd be a huge addition. I think, um, you know, I do think, Baseball is really like, a, okay, you had a good week, show me two. You had a good month, show me six. So it is that kind of thing. You, you do need to say it play out over time. We've all sort of gotten on him for not adding more depth, for assuming Paul DeYoung would be good, for assuming a lot of things and hoping things would happen. So there is a risk there for not getting maybe a veteran guy who has proven to be a good bench piece. Um, but it's certainly in play with all the possibilities, all the scenarios they're kind of building probably already about I, next year. I do wonder if this year they were caught a little in between with the depth stuff because mm-hmm. what does the rest of this season do for Woodford and Oviedo and Liberator and Thompson and right. guys that are down in the minors on the hitting side of things as well? I think earlier today yeah. was it Nick Plummer who just mm-hmm. got called up yeah. to AAA. Maybe next year, halfway through the season, he is able to potentially come up as a an option for the Cardinals off of the bench instead of guys like Austin Dean and Justin Williams. Like, you didn't just try to get rid of the Deaninator, did you? Well, we're, we're filtering through these guys, right? It's the um, the Now the that the Nog father's gone, he, he just can't. You can't. You yeah, can't, I'm on to the next guy. You can't send Dean. I, I do wonder if next year they're going to be in a better spot from some of the players that are now getting ready to come up. Nolan Gorman is another option as a lefty bat that could maybe help them there too. So I, I do wonder if that helps them a little bit. And they do still have to go out there and get on minor league deals or the $1 million non-guaranteed deals, stuff like that. They've got to bring in a little bit more competition this offseason than they did Yeah, and they year. have found some of those guys. They've done a good job. I mean, Newt Bar, again, we mentioned was not a big prospect. Garcia in the bullpen it looks like a really exciting piece. They've done a good job of piecing together the bullpen this year. Right, it, right. It took them too long, but they did eventually find a way. Yeah, they sure did, and they what they did was they went and got strike throwers that would sort of balance out the high... Um, velocity guys who weren't throwing strikes. Mm-hmm. I thought that was smart. Sort yeah. Of, yeah. It's been interesting to watch the way that they've really reconstructed that pen mm-hmm. with Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie coming up in 15 minutes or so. Major league baseball is a tanking problem. That ain't breaking news to you, but it's getting worse and worse in this off season. They've got to find a way to fix it. We'll tell you how coming up in 15 minutes or so coming up next. Let's play a game of in or out. Six, five, seven, eight, Oh, is the air comfort service tax line in or out coming up next. Ooh. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service. I thought you had forgotten air comfort service tax line for in or out with Mark Saxon, who's filling in this week or today at least and Wednesday. Potentially Friday if he doesn't hate us by then. Or if I don't blow it. For, uh, for Alex Ferrario, he's out on vacation. 
That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's play a game of in or out. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. Let's start with this one, boys. The Titans, in or out, they will win the AFC South with fewer than 10 wins. The reason I ask this is because according to DraftKings Sportsbook online, 99% of the money that they've received is coming in on the Titans win total over. Win <laughs> total over 99% and the win total is currently set at nine. So in or out, the Titans will win their division, but they will finish with fewer than 10 wins. Mm. So the way is the smart money on the over, it sounds like, or just so the public is betting heavily the on the over. Is okay. Heavily, 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 heavily on the over nine. And is it from the state of Tennessee where all these could be, um, could be. I will. I'm going to kind of, yeah, I will sort of short them. I will say yes, under 10. I don't know. I feel like their quarterback, he looks great for a while, but then there will be sort of, he will hit a wall. I don't know that he's as elite as some of the other guys. So, yeah, I'll say they're like a nine-win team for me. Tanner? I think I'm with you. I'm looking at their schedule and I'm going, yeah, there's a couple that are kind of on the brink, but there's probably about seven, eight that I'd say are must or probably for sure wins. And then there's a couple I'm on the fence. So I'll say I'm in. I think they're about a nine win AFC South winner. They play the NFC West this year, which is really tough. Um, they also play the AFC East. So you've got Buffalo, Miami, New England in there. And their non-conference, that's the not the four you're playing, is the Saints. Dang. So, yeah, they, they, they have some tough cross-divisional and cross-conference uh, opponents. I, I'm in on this. I think they win that division because it's atrocious. If you're not picking them, who are you taking? Right. Colts, I guess. It's just not a good division. So I think they win it, but... I don't think this is some 11, 12 win type of a team. I now, the problem, of course, is 17 games this year, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so nine and eight. I think nine and eight is not particularly great. That would be kind of interesting. Yeah. I think this could be the AFC's version of last year's NFC East. Yeah. Ugh. To me, they're a nine and eight or 10 and seven. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right to me. Uh, from the 618 guys, in or out on the Cardinals bringing in Gregory Polanco. In or out, the Cardinals should sign pick him hmm. up on waivers he's on waivers currently Gregory uh, Polanco oh so this is sort of immediately yeah I don't see it based on what we've talked about you know Newt Barr has been a good bench guy for the outfield and the, the outfielders have generally really outperformed I think what a lot of people thought they would do I don't see that happening I mean they've seen this guy play a lot they certainly know him as well as anybody so I, I it doesn't seem like a, a, a fit for me yeah, I'm with you. I, I'd be out on that. He's not hitting really this year. I, his batting average, I believe, is still below 200. At least it was heading into this weekend. So you've got Newbar that's going to be that left-handed bat off the bench. I don't want to bring in him in an offense that's already struggling, so I'm out. Yeah, you've got a better option right now. Lars Newbar has been better this year than Gregory Polanco. And I loved Gregory Polanco early in his career. I thought he was a great player. But this year, even if you wanted to use him as a platoon guy, he's batting 215 against right-handed pitching with an OPS right at 700. That's not an upgrade for this team. Right. So I'm out on this. I like the player. Liked the player. Yeah. He just hasn't been productive. So there's no reason why they should be in on that at all. No, in my we, opinion. We, we happen to be in Pittsburgh the, when they signed him to a long-term extension. He did one of those, you know, young guys who signs a long-term deal. And at that point, you look at him and go, boy, he's going to be a potential superstar. He just never really take, took that next step. 
you know, I don't know whether it was partly the culture there or just not winning, but yeah, he just has never been that taking that next step and become that guy that you really have to have. Next one for in or out. In or out, the Cardinals will finish this season with three 30 plus home run hitters. Hmm. The Cardinals will finish the year with three 30 plus homer hitters. Let's see where they're at right now in terms so of Arenado and O'Neill will get there probably, right? Is Goldie good. is at 19 currently. O'Neill is at 21 and Arenado's at 25. So those are your three that are certainly most likely. I don't think so because I think Goldie typically has been falling just short of 30. So I've I've got two. 30's a high mark. Yeah, I here. don't think it's going to happen. I think do you think he could get to 25? That Goldie, 19 yeah, he right could now. easily. As hot as he is, yeah, I think that's kind of where you're looking at with him. Got about 40 games to play and a ton of doubles. Yeah, I could see Goldie doing 25. I, I, I'm with you. That 30 I don't is it. 30. 11 in the next 40 games is really tough yeah. to do. Yeah. And he is playing well, but I don't know if even someone that hot. I mean, we've seen some guys do it, but I don't know if Goldie's that guy. Goldie, when he's hot, is like you said, it's the doubles guy, the getting on base, getting the singles, drawing the walks, every now and then hitting the home run. I don't think he'll get to 30. If so they I'm had out. 12 games left in Cincinnati or something, there'd be an outside shot, but no, I don't think it's happening. He's more likely to get to 100 RBI than he is to 30 home runs. He's at 71 right now in terms of his RBI number. It'd be tough to get to either of those two metrics, but I think he's more likely to get to those RBIs because of the doubles that he's hitting right now um, and the way that the lineup could potentially produce in front of him with Tyler O'Neill now batting in front. Or eh, I don't know. I don't know. It's gonna be a tough. It's gonna be a tough road for him. You talked yourself out of it. Yeah, it's gonna be tough. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out, guys. In or out, the Cardinals will sign one of the top shortstops. Mark, I'm just gonna let you answer this one because we've given our opinion on it a million different times in or out the cardinals will sign one of the top shortstops this offseason yeah it's so tough because you don't think that they'd have the interest in bias so maybe you eliminate that one you know you know you're talking about just an enormous you know high strikeout player that wouldn't really fit with what they're trying to do um i've already said my opinion is that seager is like the missing piece for this team I don't know what the financial picture. We all know that I think they have $60 million coming off the book, but that's not going to cover it, you know, nine years down the line or right. whatever that deal is. So I would say I think that they that should be, you know, where the focus is. I just don't know whether they have the appetite for it. I'll say probably not, but I absolutely think that's what they should be looking at. Yeah, I, I don't see it. I just don't. I don't see them at another $30 million or $25 yeah. plus million dollar guy on the infield. It just hasn't been their M.O. I think it's less I, I think it's very possible they sign somebody for $20 million this offseason I just Not have a really field. difficult time believing that they're going to do it for eight to ten years. Right, that's, that's the part that's that I the struggle case. with. It's the years; it's not the dollars in many cases on these, especially on these for this contracts. team. Yeah, some places like they don't care. Phillies, right. Dombrowski, he'll sign you to twenty-five years if that's right. what it takes. But oh, I want that kind of for, for the Cardinals. It just seems unlikely to me that they're going to go. $25 million over the next eight years with Carlos Correa or Corey Seager. And I think that's what it's going to take. Yeah. And you're, you're going to have to get up into that type of a market. However, I am curious, Saxy, you mentioned you don't think Javi Baez is a fit here. What if Javi Baez ends up settling for a one-year contract at $22 million? At that point, does he become an interesting fit for you so here how in St. Louis? You, the Javi Baez then becomes your shortstop. You live with 
whatever he does at the plate. Or you know. second baseman. Maybe you, you move him I mean, over I, to the second. Guy's that is way. exciting to watch as anybody in baseball. I mean, he's just a tremendous athlete, a tremendous fielder, a beautiful, you know, incredible hands, all that stuff. Um, I just think he's too sold out for power. I just don't think that's their MO, and I, it doesn't seem like the kind of player they'd want to bring in in terms of the culture they're trying to build offensively. Yep. Yeah. I'm with you, but I just, if they end up getting, they strike out on the market because yep. all of those other guys get seven plus years on their contracts and they're sitting there and it's January. They haven't added that big bat that they're looking for. What Merrifield doesn't become available via trade, whoever their other targets are, it either exceeds their the cost that they're willing to pay with prospects or they end up holding. The other team does. So now the Cardinals are sitting here. It's January. They really want to make a run this year because 2022 is the year that they should be in this window. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at Javi Baez and they're saying, man, our our spot that we really need to upgrade is shortstop. He makes us really good defensively. I know he has some error issues, but he's a great defender at mm-hmm. short. So that fits with their culture. Mm-hmm. He's exciting. He's fun to watch. Potentially sell some tickets with him out there. He has a relationship with Yadier Molina. Maybe this makes some sense for us on a one-year contract to see if he's able to regain form. That's that's the one way that I think they talk themselves into it. Yeah, and we have seen them seen them make those kind of deals with sort of the players desperate to sign because it's getting late. They're desperate to add something. We saw that with Matt Weeders. I mean, much smaller level. You know, Greg Holland, right? But right Correct. at the end exactly. of the off season was that way. Exactly. I think that would be the one scenario where he maybe sneaks in. But again, it's. I just think that, you know, those strikeouts are going to scare him away. Um, and again, the right-handedness I'm not crazy about. Um, it's, you know, there is part of it is probably the rivalry, too. We don't know. You know, Yachty does have a relationship with me, Megan, on some other guys' nerves. I don't know. I'm not saying I know sure. that. But, you know, there's part of that aspect to it as well. I, I think if you miss out on everybody else, then what I think they would do is they just hope Gorman takes that next step. He's mm-hmm. left-handed. He would be up the middle. He wouldn't be shortstop, but he... And maybe take that next step top prospect playing well as we mentioned the last 36 games showing pop maybe that's what they would do i i just i'm with you saxy i don't know if they would sign by his one-year deal because i'm scared of his strikeouts so i, I would have to oh, think you the should cardinals be. are you too. should yeah. be scared of his yeah. strikeouts they're they're terrifying absolutely yeah. terrifying yeah. he leads the league with 146 of them and we've got 40 more games to play yeah. he averages more than one strikeout per game that he's appeared in so far this year yeah. it's horrifying to imagine what that would look like in this lineup <laughs> but he's also slugging 475 yeah so that slug it ends up being helpful we haven't mentioned the two other names either trevor story and uh carlos uh, correa trevor story like on the face of it the guys we were talking about who fit here that that's the guy who you'd automatically say sure. would really fit here um hasn't had a great year but boy if he bounces back to what he was last year, the year before that, that's a very interesting name to keep it up. I think with those four guys, you're going to see two of them probably get the deals they wanted and maybe two that don't. And we all kind of kind of agreement that Baez is probably going to be the one guy. But there may be that guy who finishes third in like the, the money race. Maybe that's the guy they're targeting. Trevor, St- I don't know. But it, it's kind of an inter- interesting with so many guys on the market. Could it sort of be to their benefit? With Mark Saxon and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll cross things over with a fast lane coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, Major League Baseball's tanking problem is not getting any better. And right now, the face of it is the Baltimore Orioles, who have lost 18 consecutive baseball games. How do they fix it? We'll try to figure it out because this is the offseason to do it. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. 
This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Bomberito Street Fleet this Friday from 6 to 8 o'clock at Hot Shots South County for the Michelob Ultra Putter Challenge. It's free to play. It's an indoor golf game where you can score prizes with Michelob Ultra swag. Plus, this is your chance to win a trip for two to this year's Ryder Cup. Not too bad, Saxy. Don't miss out. This Friday, 6 to 8 o'clock this Friday evening with 101 ESPN at Hot Shots in South County. Get all the details on the Michelob Ultra Putter Challenge at 101 ESPN com with Mark Saxon, who's filling in for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in about 10 minutes or so. We'll cross things over and give you a chance to win a pair of tickets that I think you're going to be interested in. Dead and company ticket giveaway coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, Major League Baseball is a tanking problem. I don't know if you heard about this, Saxy. It's a very <laughs> new thing. New thing for Major League Baseball. They've never had this issue in the yeah. past. They're always trying to win, right? Everybody wants to win. So the Orioles have lost 18 straight. That's just, not good. Just a couple of bad days. It's, it's fine. Their run differential is now they've been outscored by their opponents by 233 runs this year. 233. We think the Pirates are pretty bad. They've been outscored by 189. The Orioles are atrocious, and they're on pace to win roughly 30% of their games again for, I think, the second time in the last four years. Major League Baseball has to do something about this. And in the offseason, they're going to have a chance to do so. They've mm-hmm. got their CBA negotiations that are coming up. And for as many things about this that we're all going to be like, can we please just stop? Just stop. Just get the deal done. Is one place they actually do need to figure something out with. And we talked about this a little bit with Danny Mack earlier today. I think the easiest way to solve some of this, it's not everything, but some of it is by adding in a salary floor. Uh-huh. And making every team spend $100 million or whatever that specific number is that they can implement. That's the first place. That is a starting point. So that way you don't have teams like the Orioles that are spending like $50 million on their entire roster. Baltimore's salary, if I remember correctly, when I looked last night, I'm going to double check this. I believe it was $12 million. $12 million on their current roster? I'm pretty sure. Let me double My check God. that real quick. I'm guessing that's active because they have Chris Davis still man. on the books yeah. as well. Right. So you've got some other things that play into this, but... That's the number one thing that I would like to see them do. Is there anything else beyond that, though, Saxy, that you would like to see Major League Baseball do to get rid of some of this? I mean, aside from that, there's really, what are you going to do? You're going to say, okay, if you finish with the worst record, we're not giving you the top pick. You have to finish with the fifth worst record. That's the team that gets you. Know I mean? You huh? can do a lottery you can do a lottery, similar lottery, to what right. the NBA does. Um, and I, the interesting thing about the salary floor, I think you get a lot of resistance from some of the owners, right? Sure. If Whether it's the Royals owners or these teams that say we don't have the market to support that revenue, right? You might have to get more luxury tax. You might have to get more um, uh, revenue sharing as part of that. I think they would demand that. That's. Good. I'm just saying that that, that could be a complicated discussion, sure. right? Um, and it would divide the owners, which is what they're trying to avoid. Uh, I, it's a tough one. It's a very tough one to beat. But I agree with you that it's a it's a real problem in the game when you have a fan base like the Orioles who knows that not only are they going to be bad for five to ten years, but they're going to be embarrassingly bad several of those seasons so and you see teams racing to just like have the worst possible lineups they can i mean i didn't think arizona could be overcome 
And the Orioles have done it almost a Not heroic. only overcome it, they, they have <laughs> completely gone beyond it. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're the secretariat of tanking teams. I mean, this is extraordinary. So you, it, it's an ugly look. for the you, Look, analytics has produced some really bad things for the game. It's done great things for individual organizations, but it's made a boring game where we're sitting there waiting for guys to hit home runs, and it's done this. You know what I think it's is funny, though? It's what makes sense for that organization, but it hurts the game. You know what I think is funny, though? I'm actually not sure it makes sense anymore. I, I think there was a point in time as recently as a few years ago where the smart thing to do if you were an organization was, we got to tank. Mm-hmm. we got to tank, tank, tank. Mm-hmm. Now you have so many teams that are doing it. That's true. Yeah. That I think there are some diminishing returns on going mm-hmm. that route where you are so bad and you're making so little money because mm-hmm. I was in Pittsburgh this weekend. I went to a wedding, and everybody there is sports fans for the most part. And they were talking all about the Every single person that I went to said, you got to go to a Pirates game, but just understand, they're, they're terrible. Like, we don't go to them. We don't watch them. Like, nobody there is interested in watching the Pirates at all. You couldn't pay them to go watch that baseball team. And that's what becomes of your franchise when you're in this route for five years. And that's what you get stuck in. Now you're stuck on this treadmill of mediocrity. You're waiting for these minor leaguers to come up to the big leagues. And then they finally do. And you've got like, what, a 30% chance of them becoming a star and an even lower chance of them becoming a superstar. And then for all of them to hit at the same time, the way that you need them to, it's like a 5% proposition. So you went through all of this trouble to have minor leaguers that might become solid major league contributors. And if they don't, you have to go right back through the same cycle again. And now we're 10 or 15 years into this process with nothing to show for it. I'm just not so sure now with how many teams are trying to do the same things. Like, what's going on with the Rangers this year? What they did is a disaster. You're now going to get like the number four, number five overall pick. And you were awful for the season. You were tanking. Well, that didn't help you out. The Pirates, they're the fifth pick right now. Yep. That that did nothing for you. Did that going into a new ballpark? Which doesn't make sense at all. Usually you go into a new ballpark and you try to re-energize the fan base. And Texas didn't even do that. They said, no, no, we're just going to tear it down. So the reason I bring this up is because I I think there also have to be incentives. Mm -hmm. Like I'm with you. I think you got to have a salary floor. And then you've got to incentivize these teams somehow. And that's where it gets difficult is I don't know what will actually incentivize owners to win. I don't know what would do it. Is it more international money where you can spend extra in the international signing period if you end up like – getting that top spot mm. not in the postseason, something like that. I don't know if that would be enough. You know, the easiest way to sort of maybe tamp down on it, you wouldn't completely eliminate it, but I think none of us would agree with this, is add wild card teams, right? So if you're mediocre, your your first recourse isn't to just pull the plug and do what the Cubs did and trade everybody who's good on your team who's making money, right? Or what the Nationals did. So... That could kind of do it a little bit. An ownership group that has like kind of a, you know, an aging, not great team rather than tank might say, okay, let's go for it one more year, add a little bit of uh, around these guys and see if we can make a run at it. I guess that might help a little bit, but it's a very difficult thing to solve. Um, And you're right. There are diminishing returns, I think, for the teams who got in late on the trend. I think yeah. the the, be- the teams who did it best were the Astros and Cubs, right, who did Royals. it before everybody was doing it, Royals. Um, but now there are diminishing returns, and so you ask yourself, does it make sense? Because you're also instilling really bad culture, right? Yep. When you bring these guys up, it's to a 110-loss team with guys who can't play in their clubhouse. You want you, you don't and want you that. And you potentially 
like the guys that are on that roster while they're bad that you think could be a part of the core as well when you're good. Now you've got some bad habits that potentially start to develop as well. So now when you are a good team and you're down six to four in the top of the seventh, are they doing, are they taking a uh, selfish at bat where it ends in a strikeout instead of moving the runners over? Are they not hitting the other way? Like all of these different things that you need them to do when you are going for a pennant race. Well, that wasn't instilled two years ago when we were losing 110 games. So why am I going to do this now? It was working for me then. I got a $20 million contract. It's worked. I'm a successful major leaguer. And that's that's the other thing these teams have to consider. But it's the owners that I'm worried about. Right. And I don't – incentivizing them to not go down this path when they've seen other fellow mm-hmm. owners mm-hmm. succeed mm-hmm. by doing it. That's where it gets difficult because these leagues are copycat just as any business is copycat. If you see somebody having success doing a specific type of model, oh, well, I'm going to do that. It worked out for the Rays. They're not spending any Mm -hmm. money. Why can't I be more like that? I'll just get another GM in here who can do what they're doing. They're saving money. They're not spending on anybody and they're winning. That's perfect. I love that plan as an owner. Um, but it doesn't work that way for most teams. Right. It, you end it, up just trying to follow their formula, and you're the worst version of it. You're now basically making your fan ba- base um, utterly reliant on having the smartest front office in baseball rather than getting to enjoy these great players, right? And that's just kind of a bummer. You, you're you, the technology <laughs> company that's like, hey, if I just find the next Steve Jobs, we're <laughs> right, going to be great. Right. <laughs> you don't want to be looking over the shoulder of the tech guy, the you know, the IT guy to see if your baseball team is going to be great. Right. It's kind of what, what some of these fan bases are, are reduced to. Maybe an example like the Orioles will, will turn teams off of this because they've been really awful for years now. It's not working, the tanking. Right. So I don't know. Let's see how good these prospects are. Are they making the right moves? But. Let's hope that an example like that will sort of disincentivize tanking. Hey, 101 ESPN is your chance to win a free pair of tickets to Dead & Company. It's coming up on September 13th at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Tickets on sale now. You can also find a bonus chance to win tickets for Dead & Company right now at 101ESPN.com and on your 101 mobile app. Here's your chance to win them today, though. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. If you are texter number 6... And you know what we talked about earlier today. This food can shorten your life by an average of 36 minutes per time that you eat it. This food can shorten your life by 36 minutes on average, according to one study. What is that food? If you're texter number six and you have it correct, you will be the winner of a pair of tickets to see Dead and Company. Coming up next, we're going to cross things over with on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Congratulations to our winner of the pair of tickets. BT, what's coming up today on the Fast Lane, man? What do you mean? I got a lot of stuff I want to talk to you guys about. Well, we don't have time. What's oh. coming up on the Fast Lane? Oh, fine. I guess we'll do our own show and we'll have a little fun. Taxi, good to see you, good by to the see way. You, Been my too friend. Long. Been too we long. We don't get to talk to you, but I know. I know. We're going to have to start BK making it. BK, shut us, us down. It happens. It happens. <laughs> Look, we're, we're going to break down the Cardinals. Uh, I think that there are two camps. 
okay, when it comes to Cardinal fans. The camp that wants the Cardinals to make a magical run. We're talking 2011, we're talking 06, because they want to see that. And then the camp that wants them to fall on their face because they think if that happens, the front office is going to move a little bit more. So we're going to break that down. Man. We, okay. I want to hear from the listeners That's of funny. where That's they're fun. at. I, I think like those are your that. two camps I like that you're that. in. So mm-hmm. Our show is literally symbolic of that. Not, not with Saxy, but normally because <laughs> Alex is in that second camp. And I, of course, well, being... Well, guy under the bus. Well, I mean, Alex has said on the radio <laughs> specifically, like, I think that they're going to be more aggressive if they don't make the playoffs. So I would kind of prefer to I see just, that. I just go with whatever's kind of, you know, whatever the tech sign's feeling, I'll ride the wave. Yeah, that's... Look Sounds about go. right. And I'm the guy, of course, because I'm super optimistic Cardinals fan uh, that has been holding on to all hope God, all season long. I can't stand long. that guy. Super does, does he strike you as a super optimistic Cardinals fan, by the way? Can't That's tell you which my camp I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine. Looking forward to that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited-time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. The Venture X Card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.